How to win a bar fight and practice diplomacy while negotiating a bounty on your head. From Civil Wars, Whistleblower Tactics, Schematic Drafting, and the Finer Points of Sith Adoption, The Essential How-To Guide for the Engineering Jedi, by Jack Daw read by Sam Gabriel, based on the works of George Lucas. Content warnings available in description. Chapter 13 The Little Light Leads Me On If there was one thing Zev was pretty damn certain of by now, it was that he never should have gotten out of bed that morning, or allowed himself to be dragged to the exhibition, no matter how much the Academy insisted that it was mandatory. He already had a job lined up, courtesy of people they wouldn't dare defy, and he was graduating in three days. It wasn't like they could actually threaten him with anything anymore. But no, instead he was here, hiding in a safe house along the route to the underground railway after trawling through the back streets of the capital city on the run from a bunch of maniacs with far too many weapons to be healthy, while his only hope of survival was to stick close to his boss, who had already killed four people in front of him without even breaking a sweat. At least Luke seemed to know what he was doing, and some fucking how knew where to locate allies in a foreign city, because, oh yeah, Apparently that whole runner business, a bit bigger of a deal than he'd imagined, and he'd already thought it was a pretty damn big deal. But here they were, being led through back streets and across rooftops by a Twi'lek and Wookiee who'd both promptly armed themselves once Luke told everyone to get a move on, and the former of which was telling him tales that were just... well, they were something all right. Tales of daring rescues of enslaved dancers and crafters who had given up all hope of divine intervention sent in the form of storms that defied all logic and sense of pitched battles against impossible odds, one with seeming ease, and a title given by grateful allies and terrified enemies that sent shivers down Zev's spine. Stormwraith. He couldn't even begin to imagine the adventures and daring operations Luke had pulled in order to win a name of that caliber. Well, actually, he could. Miss Valmora Rizek or Val, as she'd asked to be called, had been quite thorough in regaling them all with the countless adventures of the Stormwraith, or as they apparently knew him, Luke. Stories of dragons and ghosts, spirits and gods, of impossible and fantastical things that honestly seemed like they were just ripped straight out of one hollow series or another if it weren't for the fact that, well, there had been that episode in the elevator where Luke had mumbled something in a language he didn't recognize, something that had promptly resulted in what he could only describe as a miniature hurricane ripping the island they'd been on to shreds while Luke killed two mercs with minimal difficulty in the ensuing chaos. A hurricane that had abated when Luke had killed the last mercenary and sat down with their body, whispering, assuring them of comforting things, and then hiding them in the bushes once their eyes closed. It had been as sudden as it had been impossible and then those stories, that name. Well, it was hard not to believe that Luke didn't have some connections to something beyond a mere slave-freeing network, for all the value a word like mere had in that kind of sentence. Worse was how Luke almost seemed bored with the stories of his own adventures. He constantly said that the reality of them was a lot less glamorous and mystic than what Val portrayed them as, and yet... In the same breath, he apparently couldn't deny that he'd done them, just that the reality of those feats had been a lot less impressive than she'd wanted them to seem. Frankly, if you asked Zev, 
effortlessly wrangling a dragon and wrangling a dragon while having to put in some significant effort were about the same, since it still involved successfully wrangling a force-be-damned dragon, because, oh yeah, apparently Tatooine had fucking dragons, which was something he'd known from his research into his boss's planet and yet never fully processed up until the point where Val had revealed that, apparently, they were sacred to Luke's patron deity. Which meant that Luke, as a disciple of said deity, had the non-enviable community service assignment of managing those sacred beasties whenever they migrated into the area or started causing trouble, or visiting the fuck-off gargantuan 100-meter-long dragon apparently resting in a cave deep within the mountain range near where Luke lived, apparently uh, to establish positive relations and to get the education necessary to ask that said fuck-off gargantuan dragon pretty please remain benevolent and disinterested in destroying civilizations. Which, yes, he had thought that this time Val really was just making things up wholesale, because there was absolutely no way that getting schooled by a dragon was part of Luke's religious duties, but no, no, apparently not. Because no sooner had she said that than Luke had rolled his eyes and told Val very firmly that, well, yes, the sage, because the giant fuck-off dragon's name was apparently the sage of all things, was very large and very powerful. They were also a perfectly courteous and honorable ally when treated with respect, up to the point of obligingly eating his enemies alive, should he lead any to Sage's lair. He'd stopped questioning any and all wild tales that followed afterwards, because while they were difficult to believe, it was still a whole lot easier to believe than that Luke had found these two random people who were both apparently determined to embarrass and annoy him by giving him a badass reputation solely through admittedly impressive improv. Giant fuck-off dragons and Luke being a living legend were still easier to swallow than complete strangers being this ride-or-die for someone they'd never met before, up to and including giving all of them clothes out of pocket in order to reinforce the makeshift disguises Luke had cooked up, which he still had to thank both of them for, because even though they were now all crammed into a small two-room apartment that functioned as a safe house for whatever illegal activities these two cafe owners were still connected to, at least it would hopefully keep them from getting killed all that easily. He sighed as he adjusted the new and surprisingly heavy cloak around his shoulders. It was a bit musty and clearly made from cheaper materials, but still quite nice and a pleasant navy blue. Warm and dry, it would do him well if Luke ever summoned, prayed for, but a voice that sounded a lot like Luke tattily reminded him more of that wrecking wind something which a coat would have perhaps been better for, but cloaks were both easier to make and obscured more of a person, so he guessed it would make sense to stock a safe house with them. The strips of cloth that had kept the stolen blaster tied to his hip had also been replaced by a proper holster that had been drifting around the closet in the apartment, and a fresh change of shirts had been provided to all of them in a much more casual style than the uniform button-ups they'd previously had. He'd gotten a nice green one, and admittedly, while it was something he'd never thought to buy for himself with cross-lacing string near his neck, he was rather starting to like it. A soft growl sounded from behind him, and he whirled around to find himself face to chest with an extremely tall, chestnut-colored wall of hair. Blinking, he rapidly angled his head up and smiled warily as he looked into the two red eyes looking back at him. "'Oh, hi, Lechner,' he greeted nervously. Well aware of the rumors that a Wookiee's preferred method of attack was to violently dismember anything they didn't like the look of, as well as having a legendary temper. Is there anything... 
Another soft growl combined with a gesture towards his general being, and he'd never wished more than now that he'd thought to include Shrewook in any of his language courses. Even if he'd had to find an online class in order to take it, since he doubted the academy would be accommodating. I, I'm, I'm sorry, McMahon, he mumbled as he averted his eyes, feeling his cheeks flush with embarrassment. But I, I have no idea what you're saying. Lakmir sighed, and Zev cringed in response. Sorry, he added on again for a good measure and a mumble. Lakmir grumbled out a sound and made a quick gesture to draw his eyes back up towards her. She then made a deliberate gesture of picking carefully at his cloak and shirt, pull indicating his holster with her other hand, then drawing them back to make a thumbs-up-and-down signal alongside a questioning noise and, oh, you want to know how they are? He tried, endlessly relieved when Lackmere nodded briskly. They're very fine, thank you. I'm very grateful for them, he returned politely. But Lackmere merely groaned, and this time it really did seem to be just a groan, and shook her head, repeating the same set of gestures, but this time adding a gesture towards the door and windows of the safe house. He squinted as he tried to figure out the sequence of events before it abruptly registered with him. You want to know how I think they'll be out there? He adjusted, on the move. And this time Lackmere's nod was even more enthusiastic. He swallowed as he tried moving around a bit, adjusting the garments as needed when trying some of the movements, but overall finding them rather comfortable, even the holster that was strapped to both his hips and thigh. I think I'll be fine he answered eventually, looking the Wookiee in the eyes. They're not hindering my mobility, as far as I can tell. Lackmere uttered out a growl that sounded distinctly relieved, before handing him a scarf of a light material that was roughly the same color as his new cloak, indicating for him to use it to cover his lower face once he'd taken it. He nodded and began following her instructions as she walked off towards the others, presumably to ask them the same thing. Adjusting the scarf into a comfortable and secure configuration turned out to be something of a chore, and with a huff he wondered how Luke had done it so easily back on the train. Well, no, he knew how Luke had done it so easily, with years of experience, but still, it shouldn't be this damn hard to wrap a piece of cloth securely around his head. Eventually he managed a rough approximation of what Luke had, and even then, he had to cheat by tying the resulting ends of the scarf behind his head, whatever. His hood would be up, and no one would see it anyway. "'Having trouble, bro?' a voice asked from behind him, and he promptly raised his head to glare at Quinn as he came up to him with an eyebrow raised in amusement and a perfectly done-up scarf. "'Shut up,' he grumbled, while yanking his hood over his head. And he felt even more annoyed when Quinn just rolled his eyes at him. "'Here,' he said while yanking the hood back off and reaching for the knot tucked into his nape. "'Let me help. I remember how Sir did it. You're still calling him sir, even when he's not here, he noted Ball, turning to give Quinn easier access. You know you won't mind if you call him Luke, right? I am, Quinn confirmed. Quickly undoing the knot and pulling the scarf straight before beginning to wrap it, moving and tilting Zev's head as he did so. I don't know, but he's earned it in my books. Quinn wrapped the scarf around again and pulled it taut. Anyone who can look at an army of mercs and see only a challenge to overcome instead of impossible odds, and then back up that attitude with actions, deserves a measure of respect. Fair enough. So, he muttered as Quinn began tucking in the loose ends of the scarf, how much do you believe is true from those stories? He knew what he believed, but, well, frankly, he would feel a lot better about it all with a second opinion. Quinn hummed as he continued tucking in the edges, producing a safety pin from somewhere as he began securing the whole thing in place. It all seems so impossible, he admitted quietly. That didn't sound like a whole sentence. 
But, he prompted carefully, but it's hard not to believe it, honestly, Quinn continued, echoing Zev's own sentiments to the latter. Did you see how Sir reacted to those stories? He was almost bored with it. And those stories that speak of him summoning storms for cover during a flight. It does seem all a bit too similar to be a coincidence, doesn't it? He agreed quietly. And the fact that it came from a source that Luke had no chance of collaborating with beforehand. Yeah, Quinn breathed. I'm starting to think that whatever is going on with your boss, Zev, it's bigger than any of us could have expected. This isn't... This somehow feels bigger than just being Darth Vader's favorites, and I... He breathed deeply as he finished tucking in Zev's scarf. I can't believe I just said that and agree with it, he admitted. Neither could Zev, but he understood what Quinn meant. Political power and everything else so far was nothing to sneeze at, and so far above their pay grade that it honestly didn't even come close to being funny anymore, but this... This smacked of a kind of power that politics and economics and even militaries couldn't touch. And if Luke truly had access to that kind of power, then that, well, it implied some very critical things about the natural order of things within the universe, that he was going to have a nice and existential crisis of faith and general existence over later, but for now he— All right, people, Val called out energetically as she walked out of the adjacent bedroom and fresher combo. We are as ready to see the wife in his new outfit. Right, existential crisis later. For now, he could see what kind of outfit Val had cooked up for Luke after insisting that the storm wraith required something special enforced against Luke's protests on the grounds that he would be the one most likely to engage in any complicated and intensive exercise in his efforts to keep them all safe. He drew closer while Val bounced on the balls of her feet in excitement, the others joining him too. Nothing, my most esteemed gentleman and lady, she announced gleefully. Feast your eyes on the new, the improved. The all-around badass, the Stormwraith. With that dramatic declaration, she swung her hands over to the bedroom door, behind which a loud sigh could be heard. Valmora, this is ridiculous, Luke objected, invoking the full name privilege that only he seemed to have, considering Val never called him out on it. The door swung open, swung, that's how old the building here was, while Luke was still complaining. Besides, I don't look all that... Whatever else Luke said after that, he couldn't have recalled if he put a blaster to his head as the moment that Luke stepped out of the doorway, his head filled with silent sirens, and his mouth went dry as cork. He had to give it to Val. The outfit certainly was special. The first thing he registered was that the best cloak had obviously been reserved for Luke, as a flowing, pitch-black woolen cloak was now draped over his shoulders, the hood casting a severe and menacing shadow over his face. The cloak neatly covered up the modified blast vest and saved it from being quite so obvious, but even with that he could see that it had been supplemented with a leather bandolier that ran crosswise over Luke's chest. An extra holster had been attached to his hip as well, modified with what seems to be electrical tape to accommodate Luke's tether instead of a gun, all of which he was making a note of in a desperate attempt to not focus on Luke's face and the incredibly confusing and intense waves of emotions and scorching heat it was sending through his system, flushing his entire face red-hot. He didn't know where Val had found that mask, and he honestly didn't care, since it was shutting down the majority of his brain function. Black, much like the cloak that had been given to him, it was simple and plain, covering the top half of Luke's face and gently sloping down along his cheeks, 
leaving the mouth and neck uncovered while making Luke's eyes impossibly look even bluer than before. The whole effect wasn't helped by the fact that along Luke's temples, the longest strands of his hair had been braided back along the scalp and tied off with beads that Zev could barely spot in the shadow of the cloak, dangling in the nape of his neck and, and, oh. Oh no, fuck. He had a crush on his boss. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Oh, that was going to be such an inconvenience. False damn it, he muttered under his breath, while his entire face heated up as Luke gracefully glided into the room. And he so owed Lackmere for giving him this scarf to cover the worst of it. He's hot. Quinn barely stifled a snort while side-eyeing him with gleeful amusement. Oh, now you realize it. Welcome to the program, Zev. Glad you caught up. Oh, shut it, he shot back. Frantically trying to figure out how the hell he was going to manage this while his brain was very helpfully noting that the mask really accentuated Luke's jawline while doing exactly nothing to confront the issue. This was both highly unfair and deeply inconvenient, and he resented every moment of it. He also resented how fucking good Luke looked in that outfit, because that was not making things easier on him. Damn it, why did the guy who saved and comforted and employed him also have to be hot? He swore something out that was laughing at him while he frantically but subtly tried to check if his scarf really was covering the worst of his blush, because he was not explaining this to Luke, not in a million years. Relax, Quinn whispered to him. I don't think he's even noticed Tyrion's crush yet. Your secret is safe as can be. With that, Quinn gestured over to where the Quana heir was doing a rather poor job of hiding that his face was as red as an inferno, despite half of it being covered up with a deep purple scarf like the rest of them. That was barely comforting, but he supposed it was better than nothing. Or at the very least, better than having to have an incredibly awkward conversation with his boss and runner about how he was really sorry, but could he possibly be less attractive? It was making the whole protect and defend thing he had going on a lot harder for him to parse as his brain melted out of his ears. He sighed deeply and promptly shoved the whole mess of emotions away. He did not want to be dealing with them right now, while they were all gearing up to leave the safe house and proceed back out into the streets for more slinking through back alleys and rooftops. He'd have a proper freakout about all this later right alongside his existential crisis about the fact that maybe all those deities and spiritual things the galaxy over were a lot more real than he'd like, maybe. He'd have to determine what he believed in his crisis anyway. Val, meanwhile, was clapping excitedly as she bounced on the balls of her feet, making a high-pitched sound that made him think of something small and furry getting the air squeezed out of them. Oh yes, she squeaked. Give us a spin wraith! Luke blinked before giving her a flat look. Really? he asked dryly. Valmora, you do realize we need to be on the move again as fast as possible, right? In response, the twilight only drooped her leko even lower and widened her eyes into two large, watery mirrors in which nothing but hurt and abject rejection could be seen. And Zev had to admit he was impressed. His own Tukakid eyes were certainly nowhere near that level, and it had taken all four of them to chip away at Luke's resolve, something that Val was managing quite handily on her own, if the conflicted expression on Luke's face was anything to go by. Luke stayed strong for an impressive three more seconds before sighing and obligingly dipping into a shallow, somewhat sarcastic bow. As you wish, milady, he agreed, before spinning in a slow circle that Zev had to admit made Luke's cloak billow and flare out in quite the impressive manner. It certainly was reminiscent of another impressive figure he could name with a black mantle, and for once, 
Zev thought that the comparison would be appreciated if he were to voice it out loud. Val was looking entirely too pleased with herself as Luke made one extra spin and dipped into a bow with a flourish. Oh, that's perfect, she insisted, eyes shining with excitement. Chitamazke won't know what did it. Luke huffed at a sound while adjusting the mantle slightly. That's the point, yes, he reminded her carefully. We don't want to be seen, and if at all possible, we don't want to see any hunters during the rest of our travels either. I know, I know, Val acknowledged reluctantly. But you at least got to admit that it's a sight better than what you were wearing earlier, right? Again, Luke sighed and ran a hand over his face and along the edges of his mask, and no thoughts banished, not touching that until he had some distance from this whole situation and at least one weighted blanket and a jazzy playlist curated by Quinn. Are you sure this mask won't draw too much attention? Luke asked while Zev forcibly dragged his thoughts back into the realm of relevancy. With all the others using scarves, won't this only make me stand out more? Lachmere growled out something that Zev didn't need to know Shrewok for to understand as a laugh and let out a dismissive roar that had Val nodding along. Lucky's right, she agreed. Relax, right? We get tons of people passing through these neighborhoods who are evading facial scanning for one reason or another, and even more where we're going. They'll mark you out as someone not to screw with, if nothing else. And likely bring all the notoriety and attention that comes with such a reputation as well, Luke noted with a sigh. I've already had plenty of hunters after me for what I did do, and rather not have them after me on nothing more than a hunch, too. He blinked, and apparently he wasn't the only one who was taking a moment to process that statement. Excuse me? Quinn asked. You've had what? Luke snorted, and while Zev felt that to be a rather dismissive reaction to a perfectly legitimate question, his next answer clarified it. Valmora has been regaling you with daring tales of the various jobs and missions I've run and completed over the years, hasn't she? He noted with a raised eyebrow. Did you really think that the masters wouldn't retaliate against such a blatant challenge of their power? And well, point taken. The shenanigans that Luke seems to get up to even before getting hired by Lord Vader would have probably caught the attention of someone rich enough to either send hunters after Luke or put out a bounty that would attract said hunters. In either case, it's hardly relevant right now. Luke dismissed. If everyone's ready, we need to be on our way again and head towards the underground ASAP, or we risk the hunters catching up with us again. Abruptly, the mood in the apartment sobered up again. The reminder of the small army of armed goons that was chasing them down with lethal intent. Probably these guys were turning out to be a bigger buzzkill than his dad when he tried to pitch the idea of him not going into the military and instead pursuing a legal and political career, or at least before Luke intervened which hopefully would be the solution for their current predicament too, because if he was honest, he had no idea of how to handle this whole situation in any way, shape, or form that ended with him not being held at gunpoint. Right, Val muttered, her excitement dropping dramatically as the situation sunk back in. Well, everyone seems to be suited up, and Lackey has been checking the for comfort, so I'd say we'll be ready to go soon. With that, Luke promptly turns to face all of them, and Zev hastily averted his eyes when piercing, sky-blue eyes landed on him. Yep, inconvenience. He really was going to need to find a way to get over this quickly. So, everyone's ready to go? Luke asked them. No last-minute fresher breaks or adjustments of your gear? Zev had some trouble getting his scarf to sit right, sir, Quinn immediately volunteered. And even with the scarf, Zev could see the laugh lines around the traitor's eyes as he gaped at him in abject horror. I tried to fix it as best as possible, but I'm not quite sure I did it right. That fucking traitor. 
Luke immediately began to make his way over, and no, 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 he was not ready for that kind of contact this soon after his little revelation. He hadn't even researched how to get over a crush without looking like an idiot yet. I'm fine, sir, he quickly assured Luke, cheeks flushing even harder as a light panic began to set in. Really, Quinn did just fine, and I'm sure it'll hold. No, I'm not too sure about that, Quinn interrupted easily. And so I've loved the guy, he really did, but right now he could strangle him. You should definitely check it over, sir. Ensure that it doesn't come loose if you pray down the storm again. No, really, he insisted more strenuously, because fuck, 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 couldn't this realization have come at any other time? Ignorance really was bliss, clearly. I'm fine, sir, really. Zav, Luke interrupted, quietly, calmly, and his jaw snapped shut with a click. Are you sure it's not going to come loose during a chase or other strenuous activity? It could be disastrous if it did. Well, shit. I, I, he stammered, and fuck. Out of all the times in which his voice would suddenly refuse to cooperate and become tongue-tied, Luke sighed at his less-than-convincing answer, and yeah, he could admit that he cringed internally at how that performance had gone. I'd like to check it over in that case, Luke continued softly. I promise I'll be quick about it. And, well... His shoulders slumped in defeat, and he nodded reluctantly. Yes, sir, he agreed just as quietly, obligingly pulling down his hood and bracing himself as Luke promptly stepped into his personal space to inspect Quinn's, the traitor, handiwork. Let's see, Luke muttered, and Zev nearly jumped as leather-covered fingertips brushed over his neck and curled under the scarf to give it a tug. Heat flushed into his cheeks and face and entire fucking upper body like someone had turned open a faucet and he was murdering Quinn as soon as he could get away with it and was no longer bound by his oath to Luke, which he promptly let him know by glaring daggers at his silently laughing so-called best friend, who suddenly made a thumbs-up sign to him. Oh yeah, definitely murder. Several moments of sheer humiliation and some very confusing surges of feelings later, and Luke had redone several sections of Quinn's handiwork, while thankfully never commenting on any of the cherry-red blush he saw. With the scarf secured again, and any illusion of him having this whole situation under control thoroughly shattered, Luke stepped away and scrutinized his handiwork for a moment, Zev not even daring to move in case it somehow gave away more than he already had. He sighed in relief when Luke nodded firmly and promptly turned towards the rest to check them over for any last-minute adjustments, and sharply elbowed Quinn in the side with vicious prejudice. Gratified when Quinn promptly let out an explosive breath and groan of pain. Your vow, Zev, Luke immediately reminded him from across the room without even turning around while he inspected Alonzo's own gear, and, well, he wasn't going to question how he was capable of that. He's the Stormwraith was probably the answer he'd get from Val or a mysterious smile from Luke himself if he was lucky. But, wait, no, not lucky. Sorry, sir, he mumbled instead of pursuing that train of thought any further before turning to Quinn. I will murder you in your sleep, he hissed under his breath to the still groaning Quinn. Dang, man, Quinn snarked back, breathing through the pain. What a way to thank your wingman, violence, just what I always wanted. I don't want a wingman, he retorted in a near-silent hiss. For fuck's sake, Quinn, that's my boss. All the more reason to have a wingman, then, Quinn insisted as he carefully stretched around the pain, rubbing the sore spot. He had an oath to his runner to keep. He couldn't strangle Quinn. He had an oath to his runner to keep. He couldn't strangle Quinn. He had an oath to his runner to keep. He couldn't strangle Quinn. It... If he just kept repeating that often enough, it might not even seem worth it anymore to just take whatever divine retribution was in store for him if he broke that oath. You absolute moron, he hissed. I don't want to crush on my boss. I want to get through this. 
and then hopefully have a semi-normal career as a secretary. Quinn gave him an odd look. Well, he said slowly, I'd say both those ships have thoroughly sailed, my dude. Of all that, no, he hissed. What I mean is that I don't want to act on whatever harebrained scheme you have cooking up in there. Force, please, no. He didn't want to deal with Quinn trying to set him up with his boss and runner, no matter how good he looked or kind he was. They were just asking for all kinds of trouble that wouldn't even stop at the usual awkwardness of being rejected and then still having to work with the person who did the rejecting or was rejected. Quinn held up his hands in surrender, and for the first time he actually seemed to be backing off. Letting his hackles down somewhat, he was about to say something when... So, you too, huh? He nearly jumped out of his own skin when a soft voice came up from behind him, and whirling around, revealed the cloaked and covered form of Tyrion Quara, red curls barely peeking out from under the dark electric indigo hood of his cloak, and bouncing as the air jumped back in surprise at his reaction too. Trying to calm the galloping pace of his heart from the sudden jump scare that nearly stopped it dead in its tracks, Zeb tried to force some composure back into himself when Tyrion almost immediately began fiddling with the edge of his cloak. I... sorry, I didn't mean to startle you, Tyrion apologized quietly, directing his eyes at the ground. It's... all right, he managed to get out around the lump that had shot up into his throat. I just didn't hear you approach. Well... Quinn announced while clapping a hand on his shoulder. I was going to leave you two to it and distract Sir away from here. Good luck figuring it out. And before Zeb could even turn around to tell him to stay here and help fix the situation his big mouth had caused, Quinn was already across the room to where Luke was busying himself with Alun's cloak and holding a calm but highly intense conversation with Val and Lackmare. Coward, he muttered after the back of his retreating friend. He may not be interested in actually acting on any of all of this newly discovered nonsense, but that didn't mean he was ready to talk about that fact with the one other person here who'd so far shown themselves to be pretty blatantly interested in the same person he was. Uh, did I come at a bad time? Terry asked carefully, and turning his attention back to him revealed the air had begun to nervously shuffle back and forth, looking every bit the part of a chastised pup who'd just learned the hard way that people don't appreciate their shoes to be chewed on, nerves abating as he realized that for all they had the same taste in romance, it was still Tyrion. Zeb shook his head in denial. No, he said, but that didn't exactly feel like the truth. Yes, he tried, but no, not that either. I don't know, he admitted. And yeah, that felt just about right. It's just... He sighed and pulled a hand through his hair, something that immediately made him realize his hood was still down from when Luke had fixed his scarf and, oh, oh nope, he wasn't about to revisit those memories, not when the experience itself still had his neck tingling with phantom sensations, which he resolutely wasn't going to be thinking about either, no. But Tyrion seemed to know what he was talking about as he huffed out a soft sound and nodded. Yeah, he agreed, glancing over to Luke. It really is. Ah, fuck. You know then, he tried carefully, and a pit in his stomach opened up when Tyrion nodded silently, still looking at Luke. As do you, Tyrion nodded quietly, Zam sputtering in response, and, well, yes, but it's all right, Tyrion assured him, turning his gaze away from Luke and looking Zev in the eyes with surprising confidence. I know I'm pretty obvious about my interest, he sighed. Wish I wasn't, but, well, 
He shrugged his shoulders lightly. I seem to lose all control over my mental faculties whenever Luke does. He gestured wordlessly to where Luke was just silencing a whining alun with barely more than a look. And yeah, Zev did understand. Fools if I don't feel that, he admitted in a mutter. Tyrion hummed in agreement, drawing his cloak a little tighter around himself. I don't know whether to be grateful or not that he seems to be the only one who hasn't realized it yet, he noted ruefully. And while that, Zev could sympathize less with, admittedly. I know I'm pretty damn grateful, Zev confessed. It would make working relations a lot more difficult if he realized. For he didn't even want to think about what being rejected by Luke would feel like. Sure, he didn't want to act on his feelings, at least for the far, far foreseeable future, but that didn't mean that rejection would be any easier, damn it. Tyrion made a surprised little noise and looked over to him with wide eyes that quickly softened. I forgot, he mumbled. But yes, you're slated to become his personal secretary once the graduation goes through, aren't you? Zeb stuck his hands in his pockets and nodded reluctantly. Forced, this was his first day alongside Luke again in over two months, and already everything had gone to high hell in a handbasket. He barely even wanted to know what the rest of his employment would look like. Yeah, he admitted. I am. Tyrion made a sound low in his throat and looked back at Luke with a rueful little smile. Then I suppose I know which of us has the better chance now, he noted in a tone that was quietly regretful. All that time together. No chance at all, he corrected promptly, because no, absolutely not. He was not having this kind of thrice-damned miscommunication already. I'm not planning to pursue this in any capacity whatsoever. My dad would kill me for the blatant disregard of the fraternization protocols alone. He paused as a horrible thought suddenly occurred to him. If Lord Vader doesn't get to me first, he amended, because, oh yeah, that... That being that Luke was the favorite period of the violently omnicidal second-in-command of the whole damn empire. You know, this crush was getting to be more inconvenient by the minute. Tyrion blinked at him and glanced quickly between himself and Luke. Really? he asked quietly. You're not even going to try? His tone was that of someone who seemed like he couldn't even believe why Zeb wouldn't try, but also quietly contemplative. Not even going to try, he confirmed blithely, watching Luke begin to finish up with a lun. He sighed and glanced at Tyrion, who looked right back. Tyrion was, well, he stood a good chance of it if he wanted to try for Luke, and he supposed that out of everyone, both Luke and Tyrion could do a lot worse if it ever came to that. Look, he said quietly. Fact of the matter is that between being friends with Luke, his charge, and his secretary, I'm not looking to add on any more complications to the pile. It's not a good idea for me. And I'm only just entering a phase in life where I'm not constantly worrying about being discovered. His dad having to pay for all his choices instead of him. Dying painfully and publicly as an example to others. A lot of things, he finished lamely. But it was better than the alternative, he sighed. I'd like not to have to worry about this, too, he admitted. Tyrion contemplated him for a while, looking pensively into his eyes with far more confidence and wisdom reflected within than the boy usually dared show. I'd see, he said eventually. 
I'm sorry that your circumstances keep you from being able to try. Sav blinked. Thank you. He returned softly, surprised at the sportsmanship, show of respect, honor, something like that. You're still welcome to try, though, he noted carefully. I'm not one to try and stop you if you want to give it a shot. Tyrion laughed faintly and flushed a rosy pink. That's good to know, I suppose, he noted with a rueful smile. But I'm pretty sure I'd sabotage myself a lot sooner than you ever could, even if you were otherwise inclined. Nerves, he added knowingly, having a pretty good idea of what was stopping the Count. Like you wouldn't believe, Tyrion confirmed with a relieved sigh, apparently more than a little thankful to not have to explain that one. Tongue-tied doesn't even begin to cover it. Zev hissed through his teeth in sympathy. That's rough, he agreed. He's got an annoying aptitude for inflicting it, too. And he nearly laughed when Tyrion turns to him with bright eyes and a relieved look. Right, Tyrion said. And then that outfit. Entirely unfair, he declared. Entirely unfair, Tyrion agreed firmly. A mask should not be allowed to look that good on anyone. But it does. And I somehow can't bring myself to regret it, he allowed. But then those takedowns he did earlier, those four... Incredibly unsettling, Tyrion declared under his breath. And yet, it shall not be doing things for us, Sev noted quietly. People died, but he did it to protect us, Tyrion finished. Sighing right alongside Zev as they both remembered that little fact. We're so doomed, Sev noted. Incredibly so, Tyrion agreed in a mutter. And here I thought that getting rescued from a gruesome fate by dashing rogues was something that only happened in stories, but he sighed as he watched Luke converse shortly with both Quinn and Val. Here we are. Here we are indeed, Zeb muttered under his breath. And to think that Quinn deliberately set me up like that. I'll admit to being both envious and embarrassed on your behalf, Tyrion mumbled, face above the scarf pinking slightly. But considering the situation that was getting checked over for injuries by Luke, I think the latter won out. Zev groaned as the memory of both those particular moments suddenly drifted back to the foreground of his mind. Don't remind me, he whined. That stupid memory just took on a whole new light. Tyrion snickered softly but gave him a sympathetic smile nonetheless, eyes warm and crinkling slightly above the scarf. If it helps, you took it a lot better than I did, he admitted. I wasn't even aware of my crush at the time, Zev pointed out, whispers quieting down even more. I literally only just found out, and Quinn immediately took advantage. That got Tyrion to wince and shoot him a truly sympathetic look. My condolences, he said. Surprisingly serious and without even a hint of sarcasm, and just like that, Zev's respect for the air doubled. At least someone understood here. Thanks, he muttered back, unable to keep his voice from sounding as forlorn as he felt. The same, by the way, he returned, and Tyrion nodded towards him as if raising a toast in commiseration. Force, what a fine pair they made. Zev, Tyrion, Luke called from across the room. Ready to go? We're hoping to get into and through the last leg of the journey to the underground before the clock hits 5.30. Both of them immediately straightened up, and predictably he felt himself start to blush again. 
At least Tyrion didn't seem to be much better off than he was, the rosy pink darkening into a definite shade of red. We're ready, sir, he confirmed quickly, resolutely not looking to where Quinn was shooting him a double thumbs up. He still hadn't forgotten his promise to murder his friend the moment he got the chance. Unfortunately for him, that would have to wait, as Luke was seriously gearing up to leave the safe house once again, and there was a restlessness in the air, a kind of silent anticipation, and Zev found himself sinking back into a strange kind of alertness as he took his position towards the back of the group once again. At least he now had Lackmere with him to help him in his duties of bringing up the rear of this little expedition, and he had to admit he felt a lot safer with the Wookiee guarding one of his flanks. Even as he couldn't understand her, she was armed, and while according to Val neither of them were particularly trained in combat, they still knew enough self-defense to prove dangerous. Add to that the fact that Lackmere had proven herself to be incredibly perceptive, and to say that she would make for a formidable ally should Luke ever fall would be an understatement. Exchanging short nods with her as he took up position, Zev wondered idly what Luke would be planning for their movements this time. They'd entered the safe house from the ground-level door, but with all the emphasis the runner seemed to place on getting off the ground and staying off the ground, it was far from guaranteed to be their exit. Sure enough, when the door swung open, Val and Luke promptly headed for the maintenance stairs that headed up instead of down to the roof then. The building they'd found themselves in was old, even by the standards of the Red Stones, as they'd learned the district was called. One of the oldest districts in Chitamaske and rife with immigrants from the Outer Rim territories seeking their fortune or just a better life. And as he'd quickly learned, being an old building in one of the oldest parts of the city meant that it rather showed its age. It was no wonder that a safe house could be safely established here. It was so old, there were even fucking hinged doors. Which buildings even had those anymore that weren't some kind of living museum or cultural heritage residence? They'd been declared a safety hazard a long time ago in residential homes, and thanks to his stubborn insistence on taking several legal courses, he had a damn good idea of when that building code had been entered into the legal charters. Most likely, the Republic had only been in its infancy when the code was adopted. That's how old. And it still showed in more than the hinged doors, bizarre as they were, too. The whole of the Red Stones was like stepping into a time capsule. Everything was older, stranger, and felt like it came from an era long since past. It didn't seem to bother Val, Lackmere, or Luke, though especially regarding the latter he could see why. With how he treated things like oaths of silence, loyalty, and protection, the runner always seemed like he belonged to a much older time long, long ago. A time of gods and dragons and miracles and magic. A time that, against all odds, Luke seemed to carry with him wherever he went, bending the world around him until it suited itself to him, instead of merely being a fish out of water. Here, in a place that seemed to echo the same ancient era that he did, Luke proved to be in his element. Clambering up the stairs through a hallway narrow enough that it forced them into single file, they soon reached the uppermost floor, barely more than a maintenance storage area. The walls were bare plasterwork, grimy with the dust of ages and cracked in several places, but the overall area was surprisingly clean as they passed through with the sunlight streaming in through the emergency exit at the end of the building. Pushing open the door, force that still didn't look right, Luke led them all onto an external fire escape, promptly getting to work on bringing down the rotted ladder that led to the uppermost roof as he parkoured up the side of the building with a grace that had him blush. Desperate to find the distraction, he looked around at where they were. Eight floors off the ground, they were by no means on the highest building of the Red Stones, but it was still a long way down. 
Here at the back of the building, Zev was surprised to note that they were looking out over a slightly overgrown courtyard. An Orioko pond decorated the middle section, and despite the slightly wild state of the plants within, even from this altitude, Zev could see that the garden was still very much being maintained and used. In fact, the whole courtyard and surrounding mismatched buildings showed signs of life everywhere, with laundry drying in the wind, smells of cooking drifting through the air, and the sounds of the crowds on the streets beyond carrying on the breeze. The redstones felt alive in a way that he couldn't quite place. A shriek of metal rung through the air, and swiveling his head around as he startled like a kid caught with his hand in the cookie jar, Zev nearly missed it when a metal ladder came crashing down from the upper levels with a groan of rust on rust. Luke's masked face appeared at the edge, grinning wide and bowing with a flourish as his cloak billowed in the breeze. "'At your leisure, my good gentlemen and ladies,' he said with a laugh, and oh, oh, that was just unfair on Zev's poor, abused heart. "'He fucking knows,' he muttered under his breath. "'Because how could he not?' "'Don't think he does, dude,' Quinn commented as he walked up next to him, politely averting his eyes as Val clambered up the ladder first, her skirt flaring and billowing in the wind— quickly followed by a slightly shaky Tyrion. Much as I hate to say it, he seems to just be like that, which, gotta say, is making me feel somewhat adequate. I'm sure he'll let you scale buildings and have your cloak flap dramatically in the breeze too if you asked, he assured his friend without even looking away from where Luke was helping Val up the last few ladder rungs with a helping hand, promptly doing the same for Tyrion as he approached the top too. That's not as helpful as you might think it is, dude, but full marks for trying, he muttered under his breath as he followed Alon up the ladder, Zev going closely behind. He grimaced as he gripped the rungs of the ladder tightly, the rust that laid thick upon them flaking under his hands and coating his palms, cold to the touch. As he clambered up the ladder, he resisted the urge to shiver when the wind blew under his cloak and sent it billowing in the wind, the cold air chilling him as he picked it up. Reaching the top, he took Luke's hand with barely a blush to color his cheeks as he instead focused on pulling his cloak back around himself at the surprisingly cold wind. Is it just me? Quinn began while pulling his own cloak tighter around himself. Or is it getting just a tad cold for a late summer afternoon? It's probably just you, Maltador, Alon snapped back, though Zev was more than satisfied when he was quickly cowed by a stern glance from Luke. But yes, he hastily agreed. It is getting rather unreasonable in temperatures. Val hummed in her throat as she looked up to the skies, watching the clouds closely. Not that strange, she nodded quietly. The cloud cover has shifted. She pointed up towards the sky's worth of clouds. Look, she said, cumulus and lenticular clouds. She indicated large, fluffy clouds and oddly disc-shaped ones in turn. There's a lot of wind and water on the move up there. Luke followed her finger and hummed too, closing his eyes and affecting a pensive look. The wind stilled for a moment, and again Zev had the scattering impression of fractals of light and clinking wind chimes, though this time the air also carried a hint of ozone. Luke opened his eyes again and made a clicking noise in the back of his throat. There's a storm coming, he noted quietly, voice lilting in an odd pattern. A fast and heavy one. It'll be here in a couple of hours, perhaps less. How he knew that, Zev resolutely did not want to know. Not with the tales of gods and dragons still so fresh in his mind, but unfortunately, it seemed it was what was on Val's mind as well. There wasn't any storm warning on the news this morning, she noted. And any storm warnings there are usually well in advance. 
Hesitating, she glanced back up at the sky. Do you think it's... she trailed off. Apparently not even her being entirely comfortable asking after the deity Luke claimed as his patron. The runner glanced towards her for a moment before turning his gaze back to the skies, watching the clouds. Possibly, he admitted after a moment. I prayed to the storm for its formal aid in this flight an hour or two ago. If it deigns to answer, then yes, it's possible. Lackmere growled out something that made Luke shoot her a disapproving glare and vow laugh. Yeah, I've got to agree with Lucky there, Wraith, she snickered. If it was you who prayed, there's no way it isn't the softening of the this coming to our aid. Don't let that confidence cross over into hubris, Luke warned him sharply. To presume of the gods is to call upon disaster. And you would say that calling upon a storm is what else exactly? Valmora teased. But the light atmosphere abruptly disappeared when Luke growled, actually growled, out in warning. Right, she said, ducking her head like a scolded child. Sorry, Wraith, you're right. Luke's eyes narrowed into flints of icy blue as he nodded tersely. Call me what you want, he muttered softly, and yet somehow perfectly clear, voice taking on a severe and formal quality that had the air trembling with power. Luke, Wraith, champion, what have you. But mind your tongue on the patron of this flight. I won't take kindly to blasphemy. Blasphemy. Well then. No insulting the mysterious storm deity that Luke had apparently struck a pact with. Got it. The others seemed to be coming to similar conclusions as they hastily nodded, and even Lackmere gave a curt nod. Damn. This really wasn't to be fucked with, apparently. The flints of ice regarded them all a moment longer before Luke's hackles smoothed back down, reinforced with a curt nod. Then let's move. Whether or not that storm is there to aid us, we need to be on our way. The gods most eagerly help those who help themselves. With no further words spoken, Luke turned to face the front of the building and the sea of rooftops that stretched out in front of them and took off running, clambering up the sides of a chimney like gravity was no obstacle and perching high up. Zeb sighed as he watched Luke take on the role of lookout. Right, they were back to this. With Val and Lackmere here to guide them, the three of them had quickly worked out a system where Val and Lackmere would be the ones actually leading the group, while Luke took up the position of watchdog, using his more advanced agility and speed to take advantage of the rooftop terrain in a way they couldn't to scout ahead for threats and keep an eye out for any potential dangers. So far, it had worked wonders, and he had to admit... Watching Luke show off his skills by zipping around the area like he was, to borrow a phrase from Val, dancing on air was exhilarating. Before Luke had first uncoiled his tether and sent the grappling hook flying off to some distant point, Zev hadn't even known it was possible to move in this kind of way without some form of jetpack or other small personal flight enabler. But when Luke had sent himself rocketing after it bare seconds later with nothing but his own strength, well... He probably should have realized his crush sooner than he had, admittedly. Not that he was ever giving Quinn the satisfaction of saying that out loud. And now Luke was back at it again, running, jumping, and flying through the air like gravity itself wouldn't even dare touch him, walking on air like he owned it. Three sharp clicks sounded up from atop the chimney, Luke calling down for general directions, and with Val pointing in the direction they needed to go, Luke was off. The tether's hook abruptly shot out like the head of a viper, anchoring itself on some faraway point, and Zev's heart shot up into his throat in anticipation once he heard it hit home. Next thing he knew, Luke was sailing overhead like he'd been thrown, 
the tether coiling in the air like it was merely an ordinary rope and not something that had just been put under enough force to send a human flying. Luke arched into his trajectory with a grace that spoke of the fact that he'd been airborne a million times before, cloak billowing behind him like the wings of an angel. And for a split second, Zev felt like he couldn't breathe. Then Luke disappeared out of sight, and they were, for all appearances, alone on the rooftop. He knew appearances could be deceiving, though, and also that the runner would never be farther away than he could travel to them in a scream's notice at all times, something he'd admitted he'd normally never do, but the rooftops were secure enough that he dared to stray a little further from his charge's size than usual to scout out the surroundings, trusting Valmora and Lachmere to lead them true until they were in safer or more dangerous waters again. Still, though, what a sight. Whoa, Alun muttered. Seemingly in agreement with him, and Val snorted out a sound. Yeah, the race's pretty impressive when he does his name justice, isn't he? She murmured rhetorically, but Zev found himself agreeing anyway. I didn't even know people could move like that before I met him, and now years later I still don't know how. And I've been trying to copy it from my own dance moves for years. She sighed longingly. Her lucky was swaying softly as she looked to where Luke had disappeared. Maybe one day. Can't you ask him how? Tyrion asked carefully. He seems to be fond of you, too. Wouldn't he help you out? Val shook her head regretfully as she began walking along the roof towards the next one in the rough direction she'd pointed out, towards the slightly more elevated roof of the next. No, with this, she denied quietly. Whatever technique allows him to move like that, it's a runner's technique. Meant to facilitate and help during flights. And as a consequence, is a secret that he'll guard with his life? Wait, really? Quinn asked. Jogging to catch up with Val as she began climbing up the side of the one-story wall that led to the next roof, far slower than Luke had, but still quite nimbly. You're telling me Luke knows forbidden techniques? Oh, sure, she happily confirmed, planting herself on top of the roof and reaching down to help them up. It kind of comes with the territory... But runners and runners have all kinds of secret techniques to help them with their flights. Everything from weaponry and poisons to medicine and movement to codes and ciphers. She grunted as she pulled Quinn up, grinning at him before reaching down with him to haul up a lun. Runners have a whole treasure trove of hidden knowledge that's only ever passed on to other runners under the same oath as they are, she continued. They're largely solitary, from what I understand, but the flat path dirty work is almost entirely performed by runners on the more specialist tasks like forging papers, playing politics, piloting, and the like are done by specialists. So the runners are the ones who benefit the most from the network. It's all very mysterious and strange, but that's basically the entire summary of what runners are anyway, so it fits. Whoa, 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 Quinn said while they put a lot on his feet, reaching down for Tyrion, who Zev had to give a boost in order for him to be able to reach their hands. You're telling me that there's specialists in this whole business? Yes, Val grunted while hauling up Tyrion. But they're actually the boring ones, if you ask me. They only false papers, they only grease the gears of the local politics in order to make sure the right people are looking the other way, or they only fly you off the planet. She grinned as Tyrion thanked her shyly before scurrying off. I think it says something about the intensity of an operation when those are the boring jobs. Doesn't sound particularly boring to me, Zeb muttered while getting hauled up. Just because they were administrative or support roles didn't mean they were boring, right? It's not, Val agreed with him. But compared to the runners, oh yeah it is, she grunted as she gave one final heave, and he scrambled up the last of the wall and over the ledge. 
the runners or the generalists of the flat paths, you know, I guess you could say courtiers, then make sure everything moves on schedule and from point A to point B. It's just that, due to the nature of what they're moving, they're required to be some of the biggest badasses you'll find on Tatooine. She grins towards both of them, straightening up while Lackmere simply hauled herself up the ledge with no apparent problems. Which is why if you say runner on Tatooine and basically any circle that doesn't involve the masters, people will know you're talking about some of the most dangerous, courageous, and all-around legendary figures the desert has to offer. Something tells me that Sir would protest that, Quinn noted with a grin. And Val barked out a laugh as she waved him off. Of course they would, she agreed. Would probably say that I'm overselling all of it and that it's all so much less than it actually is. She winked and darted herself off. Neither you can judge for yourself which of us has the clearer perspective. Zev snickered, but he had to admit he was intrigued. It was as good an admission of an unreliable witness as anything, but considering the story from both ends involved guards and dragons, he supposed that was to be expected. He blinked. Or not, admittedly. The whole convenient windstorm thing was just a tad difficult to explain away. Can you tell us more? he asked, because let's face it, this was likely about the best chance they were ever going to get outside of Luke giving some first-hand accounts. But considering the latter's secrecy and admittedly self-deprecating Val, he wasn't hopeful. Despite the fact that the job was, from what Zev could gather, essentially being a professional recruiter, much like a firefighter and the like, if a lot more dangerous, and secretive, and steeped in ancient mysteries and what seemed to be a hint of the occult. Look, he had limited metaphors to work with, okay? Thankfully, Val grinned and winked. That's what I promised, did I not? Come on, we'll talk while we walk, and I have several good stories to tell you guys, too. Now that he could get behind. A sharp whistle came up from above, and looking up, they found Luke standing on the gutter edge of the adjacent building. Looking down on them while his cloak billowed out in the wind, the black outfit giving him an air of someone stepping straight out of a legend. Valmora clicked back sharply twice, followed by a short whistle in what he recognized as the all-clear signal, and that seemed to be what Luke was waiting on. As he nodded sharply and took off again, gone in a flash of billowing fabric and wind, it was, admittedly, an unfairly impressive sight. Damn, those stories must be good if this is what he's always like, Quinn muttered under his breath. I hate to say it, Alone piped up. But I would agree with Montador. Valmora laughed and gestured for them to come along. Get those feet moving and I'll tell you guys what little I know about the runners. The runners and the Stormwraith in particular, she promised with a grin. And, well, who were they to pass up such an offer? Making their way across the rooftops while Luke zipped on by overhead to check in on them in regular intervals proved to be one of the most interesting moments of his life, and not just because of the unusual location. Valmora was a font of knowledge on all things runner and runner, though she admitted that there was a lot that just wasn't known about the mysterious group of people who operated in the shadows and lived their lives steeped in secrecy. Apparently, no one even knew their true identity outside of what she assumed were likely a few trusted confidants, if anyone at all. According to her, the fact that they knew Luke's identity as the Stormwraith was a testament both to the dire circumstances they were in and the sheer strength of Luke's instincts to protect, as this entire situation could have easily been avoided by him electing to simply not take on any of the mess's charges, foregoing the oath of protection and traveling alone in order to protect his identity which would leave them to die, or at least an unknown but likely horrific fate, yes, 
but would safeguard his identity to be used another day if needed, a choice runners would be permitted to make according to their vows if they deemed it necessary. To say that they'd fallen rather silent for a spell after that revelation would be to undersell it by a wide margin. Luke could have left them to die, a fact which Zev had objectively known as something that anyone looking to survive could have done, but it was just... Luke was safety. Luke was protection. Luke meant that as long as he was around, even threats like Darth Vader would think twice about messing with you. And that was an objectively stupid way to think about anyone, he knew, but, but it was Luke. The guy who had met them for all of two days before he decided to concoct an elaborate plan that involved spinning along both Darth Vader, Zev's own school, in order to get him out of a dire situation for no other reason than that he ostensibly thought Zev deserved that chance. The guy who had apparently talked Lord Vader into taking a confessed rebel into his protection without apprehending him or turning him in. The guy who had shielded them all from a bomb without a second thought and taken them on as his charges just because they needed someone to save them. That was Luke. Not ruthless and cold calculations of risk-benefit assessments. That's because he's the Storm Wraith, Valance said. As if an answer to all their horrified expressions. He's the runner who takes everyone, no matter the danger or time, she sighed, and suddenly looked very far away as they walked. There were no runners who would take flights into Jabba's palace, she revealed quietly. None would do it, it was too dangerous, and their lives were better served running flights actually achievable, rather than dying in vain. No one would take us on as their charges, no one but the Stormlight. She grinned at them all. He claimed the palace as a part of his territory. And run us all through our flight, which is part of why that's his title. He's the only one who could pull off taking every flight and survive. Requires more than a bit of divine favor in order to be able to do that. That explained a lot and nothing at all at the same time. While it wasn't completely true, it definitely explained why Val was so reverential of Luke. If he was the only one to take on every flight and pull it off, then it was arguably fair that there seemed to be more than a little hero worship and legend status involved in Luke's image, much to the chagrin of the runner himself, it seemed. And in fact, a lot of stories seemed to corroborate that assessment of Val in various ways. Some stories, according to her, were just the usual things disciples of Luke's patron and runners were expected to do, just scaled up. Then there were stories where, according to her, no one else was capable of doing the things Luke did. The more mystical aspects of the storm wraith that fascinated and terrified in equal measures when applied to a real-life person, instead of some distant and likely fictional character. Even more so when said real-life person regularly zipped by overhead as they made their way through a network of domes, spires, colorfully tiled roofs, and the occasional rickety maintenance bridge that were essentially just some metal boards with added anti-slip textures stored in easily broken open containers on the roofs at various intervals. Not that Luke seemed to need them in the slightest, flying over the gaps that made up the streets like they may as well not exist. Altogether, the stories, the environment, and yes, the sense of adventure that was slowly re-establishing itself now that there was no immediate danger was breathtaking. The rooftops of the Red Stones were as spectacular as any other part of the city in his opinion, and though old, the buildings here were no less beautiful for it. Stone and metal archways often connected the upper levels of the buildings in gracefully constructed corridors that provided only more roofs for them to travel, 
the spires and domes topping the various buildings jutting out like islands in a rolling sea of slate and metal roofs, glittering in the dappled sunlight. The slate clinked underneath their feet and radiated off the heat of the day, now slowly dissipating as darker, ominous clouds began to roll in. Even he could tell that there was some serious rain in those things, but shielded from the wind by the many architectural features and warmed by the heat coming off of the roofs, the sight of the muddy clouds breaking up the sunlight and a golden lining around gunmetal gray was still a spectacular sight. Glancing over the ledge to the many lower levels, he could see the masses milling about, either in covered walkways crisscrossing the streets or on the Riverstone streets below. A din of sounds and shouts came up from below, and merchants began to wrap up for the day, and people rushed around to do their last-minute shopping. It seems they weren't the only ones who'd had advanced warning of the coming storm and were making their way to safety. Looks like Luke and Val were right about the gathering storm, Tyrion muttered as he pulled up close to Zev. I can see the storm preparations being made down there. Oh, really? Like what? he asked, as they walked along the ridge separating them from what seems to be a shopping district below. Well, for one thing, the shops are actually closing up instead of staying open until nightfall, Tyrion answered dryly, drawing a laugh from him, which Naughty Damascus shop owner would do if there wasn't a significant risk of the merchandise being damaged. And for another thing, he asked, mouth curling with amusement. It seemed that when the air wasn't crippled with shyness, Tyrion had the wit of his parents. For another thing, they're... Lowering the storm shutters, Tyrion pointed out while indicating the various shops that had heavy steel shutters closed over the front with thick rubber seals at the bottom. They looked heavy, and like they would be able to stand up to more than a little bad weather. They're mandatory for all buildings to have here in Chitamaske, as the storms can get downright awful, thanks to the currents out to sea. Once the Meteorology Institute in the city gives the storm code warning, all shutters below a certain threshold have to be lowered before it hits to prevent damage to any homes. Failure to do so can lead to some hefty fines if you can't present an adequate excuse for why you were incapable of complying and can't present an exception. So we're looking at a flood warning, Quinn suddenly piped up, dropping back from his position to join up with them, and well, he hadn't thought of that, but Quinn made a good point. Storms usually brought large quantities of water, and if they were going to be heading underground, that could go poorly, very poorly. Not likely, Tyrion dismissed, though the thoughtful frown wasn't especially reassuring. The city has a pretty good defense system against flooding, and this storm was only announced recently from the looks of it. If the city were in danger of flooding, we'd have received an advanced notice and the exhibition wouldn't have taken place at all. He tilted his head as he looked at the lowered storm shutters. It'll probably be pretty bad weather, though, if the shutters are being lowered. Not a hurricane, but definitely bad. We probably shouldn't be out when it hits, should we? He muttered, shivering at the thought of having to brave whatever had people closing down their shops with this kind of equipment. It probably wasn't just rain they had to be concerned about. Tyrion, oddly enough, was quiet for a moment before speaking. Under regular circumstances, I would agree, he said softly. But with Luke, and whatever the storm is, he shrugged, I only know about 
Like to us, they are that control storms, and she's usually a lot more indifferent to people than the storm seems to be. Or at the very least, a lot more selective, but certainly nothing like the, the elevator, if that was Luke's patron in action. Right, there was that to consider. They were currently under the authority of someone who had once apparently led his charges up a mountain in a howling storm while lightning flashed all around. They weren't exactly dealing with someone who had the most usual protocols when it came to dealing with bad weather. He sighed. This is probably going to suck, isn't it? Evidence points to that being the case, Tyrion agreed glumly. Fan-fucking-tastic, Quinn grumbled, eyeing the gathering clouds warily, and Zev had to agree as he looked at them too. Beautiful they may be, but he was under no illusion that it would last, and when it didn't, it would likely be hell bursting loose. Let's hope we reach the underground before them, he agreed quietly. That can be arranged. He nearly jumped out of his skin and tripped over his own feet, pitching forward dangerously close to the edge when a hand suddenly grabbed him by the scruff and hauled him back. He panted as he looked at the edge he nearly went over and whirled around to find his timely savior standing there with an apologetic twist to his mouth. Sorry, Zev, Luke apologized with a nod. Hand still halfway reached out. I hadn't realized you hadn't heard me approach, or I wouldn't have startled you like that. That's... that's all right. He panted while trying to stop his life from flashing in front of his eyes, force that had been too close for comfort. Luke scrutinized him closely for the truth of his words, but eventually seemed to decide that he was mostly all right, and chirped a sharp sound at them to all gather round, something that most of them had already done anyways, thanks to the commotion. What's the rundown, Wraith? Val asked while joining up with them. A very annoyed Alun standing at her side with his arms crossed. Something the matter? There's hunters in the area, Luke revealed promptly, tone deadly serious and face thunderous. They've given up all pretense of trying to blend in and are now just roving the streets in small bands of two or three, trying to hunt us down and harassing the local populace for clues. We're closing in on the entrance to the underground and we'll have to go to ground level soon. He sighed deeply and spun the hook of his tether around in a tight circle with a flick of his wrist apparently agitated enough to give in to a nervous tick. I'm taking direct control of the group back. We'll have to be careful from here on out. Damn it, Val cursed under her breath. Is there no way to take them out? Only as a last resort, Luke countered firmly. They're in constant communication with each other, and the moment one of them goes silent, I suspect the rest will descend on the location like a swarm of blood ants. Fuck. It seemed they learned from their mistake on the station then, or at least that it indicated that these were mercs of a higher caliber than whatever Luke took out. And what about avoiding them altogether, sir? He asked desperately. Is that an option? Luke smiled grimly at him, the mask making the smile look downright dangerous, and his stomach dropped to somewhere around street level. Well, that's the hope, isn't it? He answered cryptically. In any case, fall back into formation and follow closely. This could get ugly. No one argued. No one dared and they made a pact with Luke besides. Their obedience, while he was still risking his life for them. The cloaked, hooded, and masked figure of Luke took point, and Zev had to admit, even from where he was standing towards the back, he made for an impressive figure, even with his relatively short stature. An authoritative one, if nothing else, and it made it frightfully easy to follow where he led. He let himself back in line with Lackmere at his side, exchanging curt nods of solidarity with the Wookiee as they both let their hands drift down towards their weapons, making sure to keep them at ready. 
Luke would command them to fire if need be, but just in case they were ready. There wasn't much talking anymore as their feet clinked on the gray slate roof, silence falling over them as Luke led them between two great copper domes, bright green with the rust of ages. It was eerie to walk in this kind of silence while the city below was slowly growing more and more quiet, with every rattle and clang of a storm shutter closing down. Glancing over the edge again, he could see that the crowds were getting harried as the first rumbles of thunder could be heard in the distance. It was still far, far away, but the sound was unmistakable. The dappled golden sunspots in the heavy gray clouds were growing fewer in numbers as well, and a chill came with it in the air as a thick veil of darkness pulled over the previously so sunny blue sky. The wind started to whistle around the peaks of the spires that dotted the rooftops of the red stones, and the scent of ozone hung heavy in the air. A storm was rolling in, and if he was honest, he hardly knew how to feel about it, but fear was definitely in there somewhere. Luke led them further and further through the rooftops until they finally seemed to reach their destination. Looking around, Zev couldn't really see what was so special about it. It was a shopping street, like many of the others in the district, if a bit larger and more well-maintained, with various spots of green and trees dotted in planters throughout the street and several side streets and alleys intersecting it. Luke, however, seemed to know exactly where they needed to head. Slinking along the rooftops, shingles and metal clinking underneath their feet, Luke led them down to a corner house, overlooking a place where the main street and a smaller side street intersected, the riverstone and cobblestone paths intersecting in an artful mosaic that was interrupted only by the people passing over it with all haste due to an approaching storm. There still wasn't much special about the intersection, though, and Zev had to wonder where the entrance to the underground would be found here. In fact, if I may ask, sir, he whispered under his breath as Luke walked forward and kneeled down at the edge in the shadow of a cornerstone decoration. Where is it? There, Luke pointed out, a gloved hand extending out from under the cloak to indicate a small, squat house built squarely between the neat rows of adjoined houses near the corner of the intersection. See that? According to Valmora, that's where it is. It is, she confirmed. Once it was an elaborate entrance to an underground station, or so it's told, but when the underground railways were closed, that house was built on top both to prevent people from going down there and to stop the whole underground from flooding and causing sinkholes as the water washed away the support structures over time. That was hardly specific. Speaking from experience, he asked, raising an eyebrow. The day the earth swallowed the city, Tyrion whispered instead, looking at the small house, something oddly severe in his eyes. It's one of the great disasters in this city's history. In the year 683 BISC, during the Masque Festival of Masks, one of the stations of the underground gave way after centuries of water buildup had washed away the surrounding sediment. It collapsed in on itself, creating a massive sinkhole that swallowed up three whole city blocks and damaged many of the surrounding ones taking all particles in the streets with it. He was silent for a moment, and even Zev could feel the history and remembrance in the air as it settled in. Over two thousand lives were lost that day, and many more injured. Since then, biannual surveys have been conducted of the undergrounds, and maintenance teams have been dispatched if needed. Holy shit, 
He swallowed down any words he was about to say, because really, what even could you say to that? And we're going down there, Alun whispered, eyeing the house with newfound trepidation. That, apparently. Zev answered that question with an eye roll, but couldn't quite disagree with Alun. This wasn't exactly an encouraging story to hear before you descended down into the catacombs of a tunnel network that had apparently killed thousands of people. Yup, Val confirmed cheerily. And we lack a lot of strange since then in the underground. She paused for a moment, seemingly thinking of something. I know, she amended. I wasn't around then after all, but I'm sure they hold them more comfortable these days. Comfortable or not, we are going down there, Luke declared. Still surveying the street as people rushed around below, the streets rapidly emptying of harried figures. And we'll have to do it fast. The storm moving in gives us a window of opportunity, but not much. And what about the mercenaries, sir? Alun quickly asked, nervously glancing this way and that, and stilling immediately when Luke wordlessly raised his hand and pointed towards a group of shadowy figures stalking the edges of the street, clinging close to the walls. Zev froze right alongside the rest as he saw the three-man band of mercenaries walking with weapons openly on display, clearly scanning the streets for their targets. A fallen woman, as far as Zev could tell, as well as a tradition and a human male. That could prove to be an issue. He didn't doubt that Luke could take the human man without much issue, as he'd already repeatedly demonstrated, but Faleen were known to use powerful pheromones to ensnare other sentients, and traditions were monstrously strong and tough. Lakmir growled lowly beside him as she spotted the crew and Luke looked back sharply. No heroics, Lakmir, he reminded her sharply. I know your people have a history with the traditions, but you'll leave this to me unless otherwise instructed as per your vow, got it? The bookie shot Luke a glare, but was met with the runner's own even stare, and eventually nodded reluctantly rasping out a short sound that seemed to be an affirmative, but only left Zev in a cold sweat. So Luke was planning on taking those mercs on. You sure about taking the monster? Quinn asked promptly, eyeing up the mercs. I can see the Feline and Tradition being a problem, especially at once. They could be, Luke acknowledged. In a fair fight, which I absolutely do not plan on having if we have to confront them at all. He grinned roguishly at them, Eyes and mask gleaming, and oh, that's what it felt like to have your stomach do a flip. I'll be fine, he assured them all while Zev's cheeks took on some heat. I've taken on these kinds of opponents before, and will slip by them if at all possible. That's a relief, sir, Tyrion sighed, and Quinn rolled his eyes at both of them, stopping short when mid-roll he caught Zev's return glare. Glad to hear it. Luke returns to Tyrion with an amused smirk of his lips before eyeing the mercenaries again. Now then, stay low, away from the edge, and try not to make too much sound. Most bipedal species have a bad habit of not looking up, but that doesn't mean it's foolproof. Immediately, they all crouched down and backed away from the edge, leaving Luke alone in the shadow of the cornerstone. The runner's hooded head moved along with the path the mercs were presumably taking, watching them like a hunter would its prey as his head tracked them with the smoothness of a naval gunport. In the shadow of the cornerstone, and contrasted against the dark gray sky glittering with scattered patches of golden light, only Luke's eyes were readily visible under the shade of the hood, gleaming a fiery blue against the darkness of the fabric and mask. Here, high atop the roofs of Chitamaske, Luke was undoubtedly the most dangerous thing around, and for the first time he wondered if perhaps that wouldn't prove true on the ground as well, 
Long gone was the bubbly, cheerful, slightly naive ex-Hollinet star that he had so easily presented himself as for all that time. In his place stood a runner, cloaked in the black of shadows, and already four confirmed kills to his name that Zev knew of. It was a shift as stark as night and day, and though jarring considering the circumstances, Zev couldn't say that he disliked it. For all that Luke was proving himself to be perfectly capable of ending them all without even breaking a sweat, except perhaps against Lakmir, but even there Zev had his doubts. He was also proving himself to be safe, someone who truly would protect them, no matter how tough the going got, and who wouldn't back down just because there were impossible odds involved. In fact, if Val's stories were anything to go off of, those odds would only be seen as a challenge. All right, Luke muttered. Those guys are going nowhere. Peeking only just over the edge, he could barely catch a glimpse of the mercs, and found that he had to agree. Leaning back against the wall while lazily scanning the streets, the mercenaries certainly didn't look like they'd be moving any time soon. So what now, sir? he asked. With Luke's general emphasis on remaining on the move and a storm rolling in, I'll have to take them out, Luke muttered in answer, sighing deeply. Sons, this is going to be unpleasant. Considering the runner so far hadn't even flinched at the aspect of outmaneuvering a whole army of hired guns, that didn't bode well. At all. In fact, it was making Zav kind of nervous. Okay, maybe a lot nervous. So sue him, but he had a bad feeling about this. Though admittedly, he couldn't tell if it was a bad feeling for them or the mercs. Either way, this wasn't going to be pretty. Forgive me for stating the obvious, sir, but you're going to take on a trained Trandishan, Feline, and human all at once? Quinn asked incredulously. No, Luke answered bluntly, standing up out of his crouch and slinking back out of the merc's potential line of sight with a flare of his cloak. With a simple gesture, he motioned for all of them to join up behind him, taking them away from the edge and towards the roofs once more. Ducking their way behind a ledge, Luke led them all to the roof overlooking a dead end of a small back alleyway secluded around a corner at a sharp angle to the main road. Only a little ways away from the mercenary group, even Zev could see with his minimal experience that this was the ideal place to stage an ambush, and considering that Luke had professed to have no interest in making it a fair fight for any of the mercs, sure enough, Luke made a curt gesture for them all to stay up on the rooftops and remain in hiding. Promptly kneeling down on the slate, alongside the rest of the group, Zev folded himself into a small ball and pressed himself down onto the roof, just like Luke had shown to them in the train. Glancing up towards the runner to check if he was doing all right, Zev received a warm smile and nod that set something in his stomach aflutter. Glancing around, he could see the rest of the group crouched down into the same position that Luke had shown them earlier, to reduce their profile and chance of getting caught. Even Lakmir had curled herself down into a ball although she had to scout somewhat to the back to hide her stature. Now, with all of them secure and in hiding, Luke made his move, watching the runner intently. Zev immediately saw when one of Luke's hands disappeared back under his cloak and the distinctive click-click sound rung out that he would never be able to forget. Sure enough, when the hand came back out of the cloak, it was holding a small, gleaming metal cylinder with a metal pin slotted through an extension on the top. He'd only seen it once before, but considering that time had been one of the most terrifying moments in his life, he didn't think he would ever forget it. A grenade. Holding the grenade securely, Luke hopped over the roof edge, 
hand clamped on the ledge as he swung underneath. Light scraping sounds could be heard underneath them, but none of them dared to look for where he'd gone, curled down in hiding under the runner's orders as they were. If Zev had to guess, though, he would say that Luke had just stationed himself underneath the roof and in the eaves like some form of giant nesting flyer. Not even seconds later, a soft clink could be heard, and Zev froze as he recognized the sound as that of a pin being pulled. Sure enough, a bare second later the clattering of the grenade being dropped rang out in the alleyway, and a small flash of silver could be spotted sailing through the air and bouncing on the river stones below. It laid there for a moment, seemingly perfectly innocuous, until... Bang! The explosion rang out throughout the alleyway, light bursting bright and fizzling out not even a blink later, a small cloud of smoke remaining behind in its wake as the alley rang with the after-effects of what seems to be an especially large and mean firecracker, but not much more. Certainly not anything like the smoke bomb that had saved Zev's life back at City Hall. Shouts could be heard all around, though, shouts that oddly enough had Tyrion, Val, and even Lachnir snickering. They're shouting for the idiot who forgot to close their window with a storm warning active to get it already. Tyrion revealed in a whisper to Zev as he scooted just a little closer to him, sheltering against the wind whipping across the roof, something that Zev oddly found himself rather okay with as the air huddled down into his side. Does that mean the mugs aren't going to come check it out? Zev whispered back, basking in the little bit of warmth that radiated from Tyrion into his side. Tyrion shook his head and snickered again. I doubt these hired guns noted local dialect, he whispered back. Even to me, it does sound somewhat strange, and Quarry has been my tongue since I was born. He leaned even further into Zev's side, and he found himself curling his body slightly to accommodate his friend. Now come, he whispered, and I wonder what Sir will be planning for them. I don't mean to interrupt your little exchange, Alon hissed to the both of them, but there's someone at the entrance of the alleyway. So if you two lovebirds could quiet down and not give Sir away, and that would be great. I'll get fucked, Alun, Quinn hissed back, glaring as hard as Zev was himself at the air while Tyrion shrunk back into his side. Silence, Val eventually whispered, tone sharp and uncompromising. Not another word out of all of you. Falling silent with one last glare at the prince, Zev turned back to watch the alleyway, feeling Tyrion do much the same. The incident rapidly fading from his mind as his attention became fully preoccupied with the figure that had appeared at the entrance of the alleyway. It seemed that the Tradition mercenary had seen fit to come investigate, the scaled and ridged head swiveling around slowly while sensitive eyes registered every detail, slitted pupils flaring white in the low light of the alley. Tradition's weren't seen in the core all that often, and when they were, they were quite often a sign that danger was afoot. Fierce, monstrously strong, capable of hunting under extreme circumstances and possessing the rare ability to completely regenerate lost limbs and organs, Tradition's were one of the toughest species the galaxy had to offer. They were perhaps shorter-lived than most bipedal sentients, but they more than made up for it with their fast maturation rate, with a Tradition reaching young adulthood at age eleven. Put that all together and it made the Tradition's one of the fiercest species of the galaxy, highly prized as bodyguards and hired guns, something his dad complained about vehemently when campaigning in the Outer Rim and having to go up against them. They were hard fighters and died even harder, and Luke was about to take one on. 
If he had known that Luke had a plan in place, he would have been terrified. By now he knew not to hedge his bets against Luke if the other opponent was a human, but against a species that was famed for being fierce fighters, certainly fiercer than humans, he had his doubts that Luke would be able to take one on in a one-on-one -on -one battle. The tradition wandered deeper into the alley, sniffing the air and slowly swiveling his head as he muttered something to himself in what Sev thought to recognize as Hutties. Weapon held low, but at ready. The mercenary looked to be more than ready to start a fight and finish it too, but Luke still hadn't made a move. Deeper and deeper, the Trandishan wandered into the alley, approaching the corner and rounding it with his weapon held at ready, growling lowly. Upon seeing nothing, he wandered even further into the alley, looking around and sniffing the air, eventually picking up something metal and gleaming. The empty grenade canister? Sniffing the canister, the merc let out a low, admittedly intimidating growl. Tossing it aside, he immediately stalked deeper into the alley, rooting around the corners. Hey! he called out. And it wasn't just Zev who promptly pressed himself flat against the shale in an attempt to evade the merc's line of sight. Hey! Who here got the bright idea to start tossing this? He barely dared breathe while he heard the merc stalk through the alleyway, clearly agitated and annoyed as he tried to find whomever it was that had tossed the grenade, but being unsuccessful as far as he could determine. It seemed that Luke was right about one thing. Bipedal sentience really did have a nasty habit of not looking up. Either that or Luke was better hidden under those eaves than he thought he might be. The tradition stalked around the alley some more, growling lowly. Well, show yourself, Wakamangarata Bacho! To no one's surprise, not even the traditions, no one showed themselves after that lovely serenade. Huffing out a rasping growl that seemed distinctly self-satisfied, the claws of the merc scraped on the floor and began to retreat, and Zev tentatively dared to peek out over the edge. The tradition was inspecting the discarded grenade canister, giving it one last contempt-filled kick while cursing and hunties again. As the mercenary turns to leave the alleyway, Zev began to consider for the first time that perhaps Luke had thought better of his strategy after all, choosing to take another vector of approach and was just waiting to get back up until the tradition had left. All thought promptly left him when, with a whisper of cloth and the barest scrape of souls against stone, a sudden phantom of billowing black filled his vision. Frozen, he watched as a sudden apparition of flaring black filled his vision like the wings of some great being enfurling right in front of him, appearing out of thin air like, like, like a wraith. Breathless and stuck in place, he watched as the soundless specter of Luke burst into the air, cloak billowing out behind him as he sailed down in a graceful arc, something flashing in his hand, not even making a sound as he began to plummet faster and faster until... Luke struck the tradition's back with an impact that was strong enough that even from all the way up on the roof, Zev could hear something snap as the mercenary instantly buckled under the blow. Like a rodent under the claws of a bird of prey, the target went down before he even registered what was happening, Luke grabbing onto the man and riding his fall all the way down with a grace that nearly made the whole thing look staged. The merc hit the floor with a loud thump, flattened against the street like he'd been tackled by someone thrice his size and... not moving. Not even making a sound aside from the impact. What? Then Luke shook off his shock from the fall, 
rolling his shoulders and moving to the side, and there was a knife planted at the base of the Tradition skull, or rather, there was a knife grip planted at the base of the skull, because he could see no blade to speak of. Half a second later, he realized that was because the blade was in just that deep, a thought that was confirmed a bare moments later when Luke forcibly yanked the blade back out of where it had been planted, drawing both a stream of blood with it and a very clear visual of just how deep the knife had gone. Zev was no medical expert, but he could confidently say that that kind of injury to the spinal column to nearly all creatures that had it spelled out death pretty clearly and loudly. Holy shit, death from above, Quinn whispered, sounding just as odd as Zev felt, and rightfully so. What kind of move even was that? Luke had just... had just hurled himself off a building and onto a tradition and stabbed him. And it had worked. The mercenary, from what Zev could see from the building's rooftop, was pretty thoroughly dead. He could even hear Lackmere growling in what he thought was a distinctly satisfied tone behind him, Val shushing her quickly, but not before she huffed out a final laugh. Zev pressed his mouth into a thin line as he kept his attention down into the alleyway. Luke had said that Wookiees had some kind of history with Tradishans, a history that was none too pleasant, apparently, if the reaction to the death of one was a satisfied laugh. Luke wiped down the knife of blood on the mercenary's clothes and sheathed it, but not before cutting off a strip of cloth and stuffing the fresh stab wound with it to stem the flow of blood. With that out of the way, Luke promptly grabbed the body and hauled it up into a sitting position before shifting it over his shoulders and standing up in a sheer deadlift. Tyrion whimpered next to him, shifting in discomfort, and Zev could only utter out a grunt of agreement. That had to be two times Luke's own body weight at least. That just wasn't fair. The body was promptly hauled off to the back end of the alleyway, and, uh, leaning over the edge just a tad to see what was going on directly underneath, dragged behind what seemed to be a container of some kind. With that complete, Luke promptly began scrambling back up the sheer wall of the dead end, and Zev thought that, for a moment, he saw something in Luke's hands. But then Luke left his sight again, stationing himself back in the eaves and disappearing from both his sight and presumably that of the mercs at ground level. Zev had to marvel at the simplicity and sheer audacity of the plan, strike them from an angle they would never expect. It was so simple and yet so effective. He could readily admit to himself that if he had been in the Tradition's place, he would have been toast, no two ways about it. Luke would have gotten to him, because who even thought of anticipating their enemy dropping down on them from four stories up with a knife in a dead-end alleyway? No one, because that kind of jump would be a rather effective way to break all your legs, and probably everything from the waist down, too, if you didn't know exactly what you were doing. But Luke did, because this was what runners apparently did to take out opponents they had no hopes of beating in a one-on-one -on -one fight. They went slightly insane, and thought of a tactic to break through the lopsided matchup and win the unwinnable. Considering the fact that Luke was firmly on his side, or rather he on Luke's, he was inclined to call it strategic fighting instead of an honorless ambush. Not that he thought Luke would have cared much if he called it the latter anyway. The runner seemed like he couldn't care less about what people thought of his methodology as long as it got the job done. See the stealing a map incident. And what now? Alan asked quietly. 
How's he going to get the rest into the alleyway? Or explosions? Don't think so, he answered, almost without thinking as he watched the alleyway entrance. Now that what I can only assume was their heavy hitter is out of the picture. The other two will grow suspicious quickly when he doesn't come back. They'll come to check the situation out shortly, and that's exactly what I think Luke wants. He's using the tradition as bait, which was honestly a power move like he couldn't believe. The plan Luke had made was starting to clear up now that he saw it in action, and the mere fact that it had involved a grenade as beginner's bait in order to lure in the primary bait of this whole plan, which turned out to be a fucking tradition, was daring to the point of audacity. It was like going fishing and deciding to use a rancor as chum to bait the water with. At that point, why even bother? Well, he knew why in this case. There were still two mercenaries left, and Luke would want them out of the picture before he called them down. Gotta wonder if the other two won't just do the smart thing and call him back up, Quinn muttered tensely. Anything that gets someone like that out of the picture. I'd be phoning it in without even thinking of taking a look without at least ten buddies to back me up. And, well, shit. He had a point there. But they don't know that he's been eliminated, Tyrion muttered quietly. Voice steady, but Zeb could feel the air shifting anxiously against his side. Maybe they'll just think he got distracted. Or perhaps that the alleyway is actually longer than it really is, if they don't know the area well. We can only hope, Val whispered as she shifted herself even lower hunkering down beside Lackmere as the wind began to swell. Diverting his eyes momentarily from the alleyway down below, Zev glanced up to the sky with worried eyes. The sun had entirely disappeared, and deep, dark clouds had taken over and were casting a veil of darkness over the city, bringing with them dropping temperatures and searing winds. He huddled closer against Tyrion, determined to keep his new friend from feeling the worst effects of the biting wind with his smaller stature. Thankfully, their cloaks were doing some heavy lifting too, keeping the wind out for the most part. He didn't know how long that would last once they started to mix rain into the equation, though. And with the shade of those clouds, it was only a matter of time before it came pouring down. Shifting his eyes back down, he noticed that he was just in time to watch the main event unfold. Both of the remaining mercenaries had appeared at the entrance of the alleyway, looking more bored than anything as they wandered in deeper, the Faleen occasionally activating her comm unit situated in an armband and rolling her eyes at whatever she was getting back. Whether it was silence or instructions, it seemed these mercs weren't overly concerned with the fact that their partner hadn't made it back yet. Thank whatever was out there keeping an eye on them, or this could have gotten ugly rather quickly. Ozone stung his nose, and the words seemed to carry with them the impression of clinking metal wind chimes. He furrowed his brow as he shook off the odd impressions, refocusing on what was happening down below. The mercenaries were certainly displaying an interesting demeanor to their colleagues suddenly going radio silent, as if they'd seen it all before and were more annoyed than anything else at the fact that it had happened again. It seemed their unfortunate bait had apparently had a history of rushing off on side errands and not responding to calls, or at least something similar enough that this kind of behavior wasn't warranting them going into the situation with the gun held at ready. A liability, if Zev had ever seen one, and one that hadn't been addressed in a timely enough manner, how unfortunate for them. 
The Falene switched off her calm with an irritable huff and began scanning the alley along with her human companion. Nox! she called out. You better not have gotten into a fight again, I swear to the force, we're on a job, you lumbering moron! Oh yeah, definitely a history there. Looks like that liability was finally going to cost them. <sighs> the human scoffed, scanning the alley too. Want the Betty gone and beaten up a civvy again for annoying him or something acidine like that? Sucker's bet, she replied, rolling her eyes. Can't believe he went off like that when we're the cleanup crew here. You'd think that the bosses would at least beat it into him that he only gets to fight when ordered to. The man huffed out a laugh and shook his head. I don't see you lining up to get into the ring with someone who likes to fight by way of bull-rushing a target and beating them until their organs come out. <laughs> you have a point there, the woman returned with a mock, thoughtful look. Maybe I should. Laughter rose up from the both of them as they rounded the corner, only to freeze as they saw the dead end. Tyrion had been right, he realized in a flash. These people hadn't known the layout of the alleyway. They weren't from around here, or at least had never gone into this particular alley before. What the hell? The man muttered while glancing around the area, eyes widening into something wild as he realized that their colleague was nowhere to be seen. What kind of... Where? The woman muttered as she held up her blaster. Is he? I don't know, the man replied hastily copying her gesture and drawing his weapon as they slowly crept into the alleyway. Maybe there's some kind of door, a manhole, a... Shut up, Gar, she hissed, carefully creeping forward one step at a time. A whole ass lizard doesn't just disappear like that. Not even Knox is enough of an arsehole to go down a manhole without telling us. I don't know, the man muttered back nervously. Remember that time on Nashida? He just up and shut up, she snapped. Sounding more frazzled already, we need to call, with the soft scrape of souls setting themselves off from stone eaves and the rustle of fabric. Even Zev had to wince at how much that was not the right thing to say in the moment. She was smart, clearly, but not smart enough to back away from the alley while saying that, and it would be her doom. A great black shape filled his field of vision again, billowing and vast, so reminiscent of wings that Zev could only think them appropriate to the method of attack chosen, death from above, as Quinn had so aptly put it. Luke dropped down on the Falene like a hammer blow, and lacking the bulk of the tradition, the result was a foregone conclusion. Something snapped harshly once Luke's booted feet hit the back of the Falene, and as she dropped, Zev could this time see the moment where Luke stabbed the knife deep into her spinal column, he winced as the woman hit the ground with a thud and a crunch. Whatever had broken there, she wouldn't ever have to worry about it, he supposed. Unfortunately, the shock of the fall took Luke precious seconds to shake off, and in that time the man who'd been standing next to the woman had had the time to, if not recover, at least react to his shock and cursed loudly. A blaster was leveled point-blank at Luke's face, and Tyrion squeaked in fear next to him while his blood froze to ice. Luke was having none of it, though, and at the same move he yanked his knife free of the feline woman and smacked the gum muzzle away, not a moment too soon. A spray of blaster bolts illuminated the darkened alleyway, missing Luke by a hair and ringing out over the sound of the wind for a moment before being swallowed up by it. The man tried to bring the muzzle down to Luke again, but Luke ducked underneath the weapon and braced himself against the ground. With a vicious spin, he kicked out his legs and swiped the merc's feet out from under him, 
The merc tumbled to the ground with a strangled curse and attempted to roll away to get some distance, but Luke wouldn't allow it. Lashing out faster than Zev could track, the runner pounced on the merc and pinned him to the ground, ignoring the kicking and screaming. A brief brawl ensued as the man desperately tried to fend off the flashing knife that was aiming for his throat, trying to swipe at Luke's face, but only catching the mask in the process. The opening was enough. The blade sunk deep into the man's neck, and Zev could see Luke lean his weight into the hilt to drive it in even further. The man kicked, and he was grateful that whatever sounds were being made, the wind was strong enough to sweep them away. Luke jabbed the knife deeper one last time, and he must have hit something important as the merc jolted violently before it going completely limp, like his strings were suddenly cut. Another one, and the last, down. He released a shuddering breath as Luke took a moment to recompose himself, and seeing as he'd just soundly beaten three trained mercenaries in quick succession, he considered that entirely justified. That was... terrifying? Alon whispered, and from the corner of his eye he could see that the prince was even paler than usual, even with his scarf covering up the lower half of his face. Impressive beyond belief, but terrifying. Zev huffed out a laugh and slowly relaxed the muscles he'd tensed into a dense knot during the fight without even realizing it. Can't believe I'm saying this, your highness, he muttered, but I agree. They hardly even stood a chance, Quinn whispered, voice full of awe and yeah. Yeah, Zev was feeling that too. He just got a single opening and ran with it. Blackmere growled lowly and Val snorted. Giving her a pleading look, she rolled her eyes, but obliged. Like you said, all is good and proper in a fight, and I have to agree. Once you get the advantage, you'll hammer it in until your opponent either surrenders or stops moving, whichever comes first. Well then. He swallowed deeply and looked back down. Luke had wrenched the knife free from the man's neck and was now quickly wiping it down with the man's clothes before taking out his tether and doing something. He looked in bewilderment as Luke uncoiled the entire tether, revealing the whole length to be easily long enough to wind the length of the house they were on a couple of times. Zipping through the length until he apparently found what he was looking for, Luke began rapidly tying large loops into the rope at a speed that spoke of the kind of experience and practice that would let one do it in one's sleep. Dozens upon dozens of loops were tied into the wire in mere seconds, and once he was through, Luke clambered back up the side of the building. The moment a gloved hand suddenly appeared on the ledge and grabbed on was the moment Lackmere sprang into action and reached over the edge, hauling Luke up all the faster by his scruff. Setting him back on his feet, Luke nodded his gratitude once and immediately began scanning the rooftops until he found what he was looking for. Watching in utter bewilderment as the runner promptly headed for the nearest chimney, looped the oddly tied rope over and around it, tossed the other end over the edge, and then gave them all an expectant look while jerking his head in the direction of the rope. Well, he said, down you all go. Zev blinked in confusion for a moment as he stared at the loop-filled rope before realization hit him like a freight train. It was a rope ladder, granted an extremely low-budget one, but he could see now how the evenly spaced loops could bank it up the rungs, wobbly though it looked, and Luke was expecting them to climb down it. Excuse me? Quinn asked, voice more than a little strangled. You want us to... Hey, put me down! 
Apparently, while Quinn had been talking, Lagmir had burned through the rest of her remaining patience and tossed his friend over her shoulder before promptly stalking over to the rope ladder and beginning her climb down, the loops apparently large enough to accommodate Wookiee feet. Lagmir quickly disappeared out of sight, and along with her, a fearfully yelling Quinn. Blinking at the spot where the Wookiee and his friend had just disappeared to, Zev had to wonder if he really had just seen that or if he was starting to lose it. That question promptly answered itself once Val walked forward, gave them all a beaming smile, and promptly disappeared over the ledge herself. Well then, come on, come on, we don't have all day, Luke told them all tapping a foot when none of them immediately stepped forward to climb down the dangerous rope ladder. We need to get off this roof, search those bodies, get into the underground, and be long gone by the time the rest of them realize that this group is no longer responding to their hails. Isn't there some other way, sir? Alan asked. Nervously eyeing the ladder, and yeah, Sev could agree with that question. Yes, Luke answered him bluntly. Over my shoulder, just like Quinn. You have five seconds to decide, and then I want you making your way down one way or the other. Tyrion warily raised his hands. And what if I'm kind of afraid of heights, sir? Luke sighed, crossed the distance in three strides, and before anyone else could react, he'd hoisted Tyrion up and over his shoulders, the air yelping as he went. Blinking at the sight of Luke, casually arranging Tyrion over his shoulders into a stable and comfortable position, he could only think that he was surprised the runner wasn't getting burned by the heat coming off of Tyrion's blush once he realized his predicament. All right, Luke said, voice hard and uncompromising. Down the ladder, both of you. We don't have the time to accommodate any other fears, and I will make this in order if I have to. Sam swallowed and quickly nodded the terms of Luke's protection flashing back through his memory. Reluctantly approaching the edge, he was once again reminded of what a long way down four stories was, with the rope ladder swaying heavily in the wind that was quickly increasing in severity. Force his heart felt like it was in his throat. Taking a deep breath, he sat down at the edge, threw his feet over the edge while hooking them in the loops, and grabbed a hold of the ladder as he shifted his weight entirely over the edge. Immediately he could feel his heart beat in his ears as he carefully began hooking one foot after another in the dangerously swaying rope ladder. The wind blew his cloak out and wide, dispersing all warmth that had built up within and leaving it flapping in the wind while he shivered against the cold that was rapidly setting in. The rope of the ladder burned in his hands as he gripped it feverishly, and he didn't dare look in any other direction than down as he placed one foot in front of the other. It was slow progress, he could admit that much but it was also steady, and several hair-raising minutes later, he was standing securely on the ground, trying to calm his racing heart as he looked upwards. Alun was the only one still on the ladder, and he made it down just moments later, but... Looking up, he could still see Luke standing up there, fiddling with the rope while Tyrion was still slung over his shoulders, and he had to both wonder what Luke was doing as well as pity his poor friend. Quinn huffed out a small laugh and shook his head. Now, how did that happen to the poor sap? He asked him quietly while leaning in. Did he manage to piss Sir off or something? He's apparently a bit afraid of heights, Zev answered quietly, grimacing as he saw Luke kneel down near the edge while doing something with the other end of the rope. Luke's solution was to pick him up and sling him over his shoulders like a sack of spuds without another word wasted. Quinn clicked his tongue in sympathy while shaking his head. Poor guy. It's got to be hard for him to be manhandled like that by Sir. He suddenly grinned and nudged Zev, in more ways than one. It took Zev a moment to parse before he promptly elbowed Quinn back, 
flushed to the very roots of his hair. Quinn grunted, but the grin only widened as he winked at Zev. Huffing, he crossed his arms and turned away from his friend. Absolutely incorrigible. Suddenly a strange swishing sound could be heard, and Zev watched in horror as the rope ladder suddenly fell to the ground in great, lax coils, landing with a dull thud. Oh, fuck. Holy shit, Quinn suddenly said, looking up to where Luke was. Is he? Looking up. Zev was just in time to see Luke leap over the edge of the roof, and he nearly yelled out in horror until Luke abruptly made it turn midair. He swung into the side of the building and just hung there for a second. It was only then that Zev noticed the rope clenched in his fist, watching with wide eyes as Luke shifted momentarily, turning his hands to apparently say something to a stock-still Tyrion. Zev barely breathed as Luke rapidly began rappelling down the side of the building, reaching the ground in mere seconds. Once securely on the ground, Luke gave the rope in his hand a sharp toss and yank that dislodged the tether like it had been shot. The hook arched, fell, and smacked perfectly into the center of Luke's palm down on the ground. A soft laugh could be heard, and Luke glanced off to the side where Tyrion still had his face buried deep into the runner's neck, shaking silently. You can look up now. An eye peeked up from where it was resolutely pressed into the side of Luke's neck, and seeing that he was safely back on the ground again, Tyrion promptly scrambled upwards in an attempt to get off of Luke's shoulder, his pallor of fear quickly being replaced with a blush of embarrassment. Unfortunately, the graceless fumbling for freedom clashed with Luke's attempts at maintaining stability, and Zev could already see the writing on the wall as the runner was struggling to keep his squirming charge balanced. Rushing forwards, he was just in time to catch Tyrion by the arms as the two men began to tip over to a dangerous angle when Tyrion wouldn't or couldn't stay still. Working his hands under Tyrion's upper arms and bracing his weight against his sternum, he handed Tyrion off to Luke and back onto the ground only letting go when he saw that his friend had his feet back under him. Thanks, Tyrion mumbled, still blushing furiously as he stared at the ground, the very picture of embarrassment. Sorry, I, I just, I wasn't thinking. It's fine, Luke assured him. And Sav quickly corroborated that statement with a nod. You wouldn't be the first of my charges to panic when confronted with heights. He rolled his shoulders and rapidly began reeling in his tether and untying the loops with the same efficiency as he'd tied them earlier. Let's see what else these mercs had on them and then get out of dodge. Wait, what? We're going to loot their corpses? He asked quietly, staring in horror at the dead bodies that were laying there only a few paces away. Of course, Luke replied blithely, securing his coiled-up tether back to his hip. They won't be needing it anymore. We can't easily get supplies and it'll prevent the others from regaining the supplies to hunt us should they find the bodies of their murdered collaborators. Frankly, we'd be fools if we didn't take their supplies. And, well, he couldn't argue with that logic as Luke promptly walked over to the fallen Faline to see what she had on her, but still. There was a part of him that was distinctly uncomfortable with the idea of desecrating the dead, even if it was a matter of survival and even if they'd been their enemies. Glancing to his side, he could see in the tightness around the other's eyes that they largely felt the same. It had happened before, of course, in City Hall, but that had gone by so fast and adrenaline had been so high that he'd barely processed it. It had certainly been nothing like the matter-of-fact deliberateness of the decision that had been taken here in the alleyway. Luke, Vow, and Lackmere evidently had no such reservations and immediately got to work. Lackmere, Luke ordered sharply, the Wookiee looking up expectantly. 
You take the tradition and see if there's anything useful on the guy. She gave a swift nod at her orders and a truly terrifying chuckle as she walked towards where her target was stashed. I notice Memberman's her disfiguration, Luke called after her, narrowing his eyes when her shoulders slumped. Valmoria, you take the feline for your reconning, he continued, Val snapping off a mock salute as she promptly went to work while Luke walked over towards where his last feline opponent laid, blood pooling underneath his neck. In barely a minute, the corpses were stripped of weapons, emergency medical supplies, ammunitions, credit chips, and, surprisingly, code cylinders with methodical precision. Luke's bandolier was quickly filling up with all manner of supplies, he noted, but it was the three weapons that had him most curious. Luke had taken one of the smaller sidearms for himself, along with the ammunition that went with it, and slotted it into his holster next to his tether. Honestly, Zev was almost surprised by how small the weapon was that Luke had chosen before he saw how well it concealed against his form. Lackmere had claimed the Tradition's heavy semi-auto and slung it over her back alongside her own rifle, while Val had claimed the heavy pistol the Falene had called her own, grinning gleefully as she checked the ammo count and holstering it on the other side of her belt. That left a variety of weaponry still unclaimed, and Zev suddenly felt the heft of the heavy pistol that had been given to him on his hip very keenly. All right, Luke said, eyeing the various weapons still remaining. All of this is decent quality at the very least, but half of it is impractical, so the other half we better make use of. Who here can I trust with a carbine and have the expectancy that they won't shoot themselves or others in the foot? They were starting with a sterling level of expected competency, clearly. Considering that we're all graduates of a military academy, sir, Zev reminded the runner dryly. I'd say that we can manage to keep the safety on a weapon when not using it. Less sass, more useful info, Luke reprimanded him without even looking up, picking up the carbine in question and giving it an inspection. Who here can shoot this thing and not be a liability? I could, sir, Quinn immediately stepped forward. My marksmanship isn't on the level that Zev's is, but it's still decent enough, especially when talking scopes or sights. Congrats, Luke said while promptly tossing over the gun. It has the latter. Same rules go as for Zev. Don't shoot unless I either tell you to, or I'm dead. He leveled Quinn a severe look as he caught it, electric blue eyes flashing in the shade of his hood and the black of his mask. Understood? Understood, sir, Quinn confirmed, quickly running through the proper protocol of checking your weapon and slinging it across his back in one smooth movement to make a point. Luke seemed to see it too as he nodded once and resumed sifting through the weapon pile. Two other weapons were promptly picked out, a holdout blaster and a slightly larger pistol, not the make that was shunted off to civilians either. This was military-grade weaponry, and Zev recognized the make of the holdout weapon as being the same that had been issued to his father. I take it you two can handle these, he said as he held them up for Tyrion in a lumbacy. The rest are far too unwieldy to even consider, so I definitely hope you can. The two aristocrats exchanged significant looks, and Zev had the odd feeling that this may perhaps be the first time that Alun and Tyrion agreed on anything. Though what it was, he had no idea. Alung crossed his arm over his chest and held out a hand for one of the weapons, receiving the holdout blaster from a dubious Luke. Mother and father may have insisted that I be reasonably capable of defending myself with one should the occasion arise, sir, he answered the runner dryly, with Tyrion actually chuckling as he received the pistol. Same goes for me, sir, Tyrion assured Luke. The guard made sure I was somewhat competent in your average hostile situation. Well, now that changed things. He exchanged glances with Quinn, who was looking just as intrigued as Zev felt. 
There was no time to investigate, though, as Luke immediately went back to business now that everyone had been equipped. Without even a word spoken, he began dragging off one of the bodies towards where the tradition had been stashed as well, Val quickly following his example by taking the other for her reckoning and dragging it behind the container that was pushed toward the end of the alleyway. Lackmere joined the efforts by cracking the said container open and dumping in the body of the tradition mercenary, alongside the weapons found on him that wouldn't be fit for any of them. The other two followed suit, along with their weapons, and Luke clambered up on top of the container to peer inside. Placing his hands back into that odd prayer position he had taken on while declaring them his charges, Luke spoke a few words in a singing tongue that Zev still didn't recognize, solemn and sincere. If Zev had to make any guess, he'd say that Luke honestly was praying for his victims, a gesture that was oddly touching despite its morbid nature. The prayer certainly didn't last long, though, and soon enough Luke was up and walking again, gesturing for them all to join him while Lackmere slammed the top of the container shut with a resounding bang. Time to go, he muttered while looking at the blood-stained floor of the alleyway, before anyone can discover this bloody crime scene. A loud thunderclap crashed overhead, shaking the air, and Zev nearly stumbled with how hard he flinched, something not helped by how not even two seconds later an ice-cold drop of water fell onto his face. Shivering and wiping the water off of his brow, he looked in astonishment as thick drops of rain rapidly began to fall from the sky, swelling in strength by the second and filling the alleyway both with the sound of rushing water and a distinctive wet sheen that began to wash away the blood underfoot. Luke stared at the sky, entranced by the water and thunder as it rained down. Holding out his hands, he caught droplets on the leather and the varnish of his mask, the water purling on its surface. He opened his mouth and whispered something that was lost in the rush of the rain coming down, but for a moment, Zeb could believe that he was talking to the very storm itself. Air rushed through the alleyway, the rain falling heavily on Luke's hands held up in a gesture of deliverance, and for one moment, one perfect moment, the rain and wind felt like golden warmth on his skin. Then Val laughed loudly and the moment was over, Luke snapping out of whatever trance had gripped him. I knew it, she cried out as she glanced between Luke and the sky. I knew that it would not abandon his champion. She beamed towards Luke, Leku twitching wildly with excitement while her entire body was nearly vibrating. You pray for it to conceal us, didn't you? For it to keep us safe. No comment, Luke answered grimly. Drawing his outstretched hand back into his cloak and shrugging off the last of his trance. In either case, the blood has been taken care of, and our trail will likely be muddled by the rain. We need to move while we can. Back to your positions. With no further words spoken, Luke stalked off immediately, fully back into what Zeb could only deem to be his runner persona. Serious and severe, lethal and laconic, with no patience for anything that stood in the way of the mission at hand. Honestly, it would probably cost Zev his neck if it was ever found out he thought this, but he could truly see in the moment how Lord Vader and Luke could get along so well. There were more similarities there than he could have ever anticipated. Quickly falling back in line with Lackmere by his side to the end of the line, now feeling safer than ever as his rearguard partner was now equipped with a semi-auto, Zev wondered what would follow next. The rains had come just as they needed them and their footsteps splashed across the footpath that was already gaining rapidly growing pools everywhere. Glancing back into the alleyway where three corpses had bled out in the stones, he noted that you could already barely tell what had happened there. It was getting harder to deny that 
There was something miraculous about that. Something divine. That could be dealt with later. For now, though, all that mattered was that they'd given their pursuers the slip once more and were within a stone's throw of the underground. Luke led them all through the rapidly drenching alleyway at a swift pace, and even Zev found himself having to lengthen his stride in order to keep up. They exited the alleyway, only to find their progress nearly halted as they suddenly had to brace against the howling winds blowing through the main street like a wind tunnel. Once they'd regained their footing and drawn their cloaks even tighter around themselves, though, they were off again. The entrance to the underground was barely more than twenty paces away, and once a quick glance around from Luke confirmed that none of the mercenaries had shown up to avenge their fallen colleagues yet, they crossed the street. Wind and rain tore at them while thunder boomed overhead with a power that had his heart skip a few beats every time it sounded, and if someone had told him that the sky was falling down, he almost would have believed them for how the storm was lashing at the city. But even through weather bad enough to have a whole city hunker down and seek shelter, twenty paces was still only twenty paces, and soon enough they were huddled into the rain shadow of the small house that was supposedly built to weather against this kind of abuse while Luke worked at the locked storm shutters. With Tyrion pressed to his side and Quinn pressed to his other, agonizing slow minutes passed by, trying desperately to keep both wind and water from driving cold into their very bones. Luke fiddled with a gadget that he'd attached into the side of the control casing he'd prized open with several well-placed hits from his artificial arm and a knife as a torsion wrench. The wind howled out around them, ripping at the corners of the building and sounding utterly furious that it couldn't get at them. And he wondered if, even if the storm was supposedly on their side, this was what Val and Lackmere had felt like that fateful day in the desert. A triumphant sound rose up above the howling, pounding storm, and Zev looked over the huddled form of Tyrion to see that Luke had managed to apparently break the lock as he was hauling at the heavy storm shutters in sync with Lackmere, both straining against the weight. Move it! Luke yelled at them once there was a substantial gap between the bottom floor and the shutter, arms clearly straining against the weight as the mechanism attempts to forcibly keep the shutters shut. The gap may be substantial, but it still had them nearly crawling along the floor in order to get under it, both Luke and Lackmere attempting their damnedest to fight against the machinery and pry it open just a bit further. He rolled under the gap, quickly making room for Val, who promptly did the same, and helped him move the others along by hauling them through the gap by their arms. Once they were all inside, he watched as Luke and Lackmere strained even harder against the mechanism, lifting it up just far enough for they themselves to duck under it in an impressive synchronized movement, at which point they dropped the shutter like a hot coal. The shutter came down with an almighty clang, and Zev wouldn't have been surprised if it had cracked the stone with the force with which it came down. While both Lackmere and Luke shook out their arms from the frankly impressive fight against the machinery, Zev took the chance to glance around where they were. Musty, dusty, dark, and damp, now that some of the rain had made it in, the place they found themselves in resembled nothing so much as a concrete box weakly illuminated by emergency lights, all of which would have been fine if it weren't for the featureless doorway that cut into the opposite wall and led into what seems to be nothing more than a black void. Where then? Val muttered while approaching the gaping black hole in the wall. We're here. Come on, then, there's a whole world down there. Not so fast, Luke grunted while rolling his shoulders. Now everyone back into formation. We don't know what the atmosphere will be down there. And I definitely remember that little tidbit you let slip about keeping a weapon at Renny Valmora. Wait, what? 
Val, for her part, didn't deny it and merely nodded sheepishly, falling back in place behind Luke and resting a pointed hand on her own heavy pistol and, well, he could admit that he'd hoped that wasn't the reaction she would have given just a little bit. Swallowing deeply, he rested his own hand on his weapon in a mimic of Val's gesture and kept it at ready. If Luke was wary enough to order it, and if Val was following it, then he really had no business disobeying it. The rest seemed to agree with that assessment themselves, as everyone held their weapon at ready, though thankfully the selection Luke had chosen for that allowed them all to remain rather inconspicuous about it. Well, all of them except Lackmere. She just slung her new semi-auto from her back and pointedly kept her finger on the safety. Yeah, no. No one with any kind of sense was idly going to pick a fight with that. Letting out a steadying breath, Zev matched the stride of the rest of the group as they began their descent. Luke, from one of his many, many pockets, had produced a flashlight that was supplementing the weak emergency lightning with what was thankfully a hell of a good light beam. He felt much more comfortable descending the well-lit and visibly creepy stairs than he would the sporadically illuminated and pitch-black creepy stairs. Thankfully, said creepy stairs didn't last all too long and quickly opened up into a far, far larger room that brightly illuminated the moment they stepped into it, an unseen sensor tripped by their entrance. Then he could only stare. Elegantly carved pillars dotted the room, supporting the arching ceiling in various places, and yet attempting to look almost decorative nonetheless. There were jury-rigged cables and wires running everywhere throughout the room, holding up the lighting and presumably keeping it running despite the fact that this place had supposedly long since been decommissioned. But the most striking thing about the room wasn't what was running along its walls or supporting them, it was what they were made of. Mosaics. Everywhere. From floor to ceiling, the entire room was nothing but an endless, seamless mosaic that had perfectly cut stone after perfectly cut stone slot seamlessly into each other to create a vast, beautiful, and perfectly smooth painting that made the very room itself a masterpiece. Whoa, he whispered as he looked around. Beautiful, isn't it? Luke whispered next to him, and Zeb belatedly realized he'd been so engrossed staring at it that he hadn't realized he'd wandered out of the formation and towards the front. Quickly glancing around revealed that he wasn't the only one, though, and he breathed a thankful sigh of relief. Yeah, he agreed. It really is. Yarn is station, Luke muttered quietly, and Zev gave him a curious look. According to Lackmere, this was once the primary station of the Red Stones, before the railway lines were decommissioned with the dawn of reliable and accessible hover technology. Luke sighed deeply as he looked around the abandoned station. A shame if you ask me, but I'll be the first to say that the second life it gained is a worthy one. Second life? he asked quietly. Curiosity peaked and peaked even further when the runner just gave him an enigmatic smile that had his stomach do flips. Come on, Luke muttered. We'll have to go in deeper for that little revelation. Now thoroughly curious and flushed with the reminder of his absent-minded wandering, Zev fell back into line as Luke and Val led them deeper into the station. Through decommissioned but still beautifully elaborate metal wrought gates, they must have once admitted passengers into the deepest sections of the station. Deeper and deeper they headed, and as they went, Zev took notice of the fact that signs of life were becoming more and more prominent. 
with the jury-rigging of lights becoming both more common and neater, furniture being scattered here and there, and the sound of electrical humming drifting distantly through the air. "'All we are nearly there,' Val squeaked, hopping once in sheer excitement as her lenku twitched. "'Focus, Valmora,' Luke chided gently, and Zev swore that if Luke had looked back, then he would have been able to see a smile curl up underneath that mask. "'Keep it ready. Right, right,' she agreed promptly, resting her hand back on her weapon while Lackmere chuckled in a distantly fond tone next to him. "'It's just down those stairs, and then an elevator, and then at the bottom the station opens up into the prime hall in there.' Her mouth shut with a click as she seemed to realize something. "'Well,' she continued, tone just slightly sheepish, "'you'll have to see that part for yourself?' Luke chuckled. But as they headed forward, Zev found himself more and more curious as to what was waiting for them. Descending the stairs seemed to take a short eternity as the tension built, and Zev tried to hopelessly distract himself from the anticipation by looking at the surrounding mosaics, all of which seemed to be telling some kind of tale of travelers coming from the stars and making their home on the shores of what he strongly suspected was the same shore that they were currently walking on. Sure enough, at the bottom of the stairs they found an elevator. Jerry rigged in a working order, but it was the decorations that caught his attention. Strings of light were strung around them, haphazard and organized at the same time. There were chairs and overturned crates functioning as tables, and they housed vases and pots of plants and flowers of all things. There were signs posted all around, written in Kwari, and Zev's grasp of the language was just good enough that he could read them as welcome messages and threats alike. They had nothing on the final sign posted directly above the elevator, though. Be welcome, stranger, Tyrion read off as he looked at it in a mumble, and leave all shame at the gates, for only our hearts and souls can judge us here. The air huffed at a slight breath. That's both uh, oddly reassuring and uh, threatening at the same time. That he could agree with. Luke chuckled at a laugh and pressed the call button for the elevator, only for it to open almost immediately. He wasn't seeing much use then, or at least it wasn't at the moment. Being ushered inside, the larger shock was almost to see that the inside of the elevator carriage wasn't ridiculously elaborate or intricate. It was nice, sure, if perhaps a little dirty in the corners, but it certainly wasn't a floor-to-ceiling mosaic. Not that it did anything to help the nerves. Honestly, the fact that the elevator rides turned out to be disturbingly normal might have made it all exponentially worse. And it was a relief when the carriage came to a stop and the doors finally opened. A relief, and then, a wonder. The sound of the crowd was the first thing he heard after the doors began to open, but it wouldn't prepare him for the sight that met him. Hundreds, if not thousands, of people navigating their way through a vast underground cavern illuminated by large crystals overhead, and crisscrossed by a network of roads and footpaths that wove their way around makeshift cabins, like a shantytown under both sea level and the ground. The cabins were tucked within the shadows of the behemoth support beams that held up a branch-like network of interconnecting metal beams, towering over them like an old-growth forest. Strings of lights were woven everywhere, and there were terraces filled with people eating and drinking and laughing, and further away he could see another group loudly haggling with a merchant in front of a makeshift storefront. There was the hiss of steam and engines in the air, 
with gigantic fans whirring lazily behind a grating embedded in the walls. A handful of speeders whizzed through the air, small, old, but there, and transporting both people and goods alike. It was a town. It was an honest-to-force shanty town under the earth, ramshackle and makeshift, but bursting with life and color, like a wilder, freer version of the red stones above. Holy shit, Quinn muttered. There's a whole other world down here. Thalmora laughed in delight and spread her arms wide, jumping forward and spinning in a quick pirouette of delight. Didn't I say that? she said, beaming wide. Welcome. Welcome to the underground. I think you'll like it, dear. With that, she nearly skipped off, gesturing over her shoulder for them to come along until Luke grabbed her by it and gave her a pointed look that sent her sheepishly back to her place in the formation, her excitement not even having taken a dent. Luke merely rolled his eyes and grinned roguishly, setting everyone forward into the bustling town, Zev eagerly following along. Whatever they found down here, he knew one thing for certain. It was going to be a hell of an adventure. The text of this story is available on AO3. Theme music written by Jack Donkrai, Sputnik, and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you will consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.